Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi there, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. For this particular episode, I'm going to go through my whistleblowing experience from beginning to end. I'm going to do my best to basically pull all of this from memory. I'm going to try to do this in one take. We'll see how it goes. And uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. And I know that I have new listeners to the show. And for them that are not familiar with me or my past, I was a former K-12 school teacher at the middle school and high school level, specifically in the subjects of math, science, health education, anatomy, and physiology. And as a result of me working in the American K-12 school system, specifically in Charlotte County, Florida, in a town called Puna Gorda, Uh, I ended up uncovering and coming to see a great deal of illegality and unethical behavior and contract-breaking behavior, and then I sought to go through the correct channels in order to get that done and have basically the, the, the people held accountable, or at the very least, I should say, have the people in charge do the right thing, and then they did not. And they continued to cover up what I had recognized was occurring with regularity, which I'll get into here in a little bit. And then they basically pointed all their guns at me, which is exactly what happens in these environments, in particular if you are a whistleblower. So there's a number of different themes here, I think, that are worth bringing up. Number one, one of the reasons that whistleblowing exists is because you have an ethical person who works in an environment who is seeing unethical behavior. That's num- that, that's basically what a whistleblower is. It's someone who sees that kind of behavior and then seeks to stop it using the proper channels. What they don't know, typically, and what I certainly didn't understand, was what the system, and school districts in particular, are capable of doing to an individual like myself who uncovers illegal behavior and illegal activity at the hands of the people who work within. So that's kind of one of the major themes is is that I didn't even know that whistleblowing was a word, let alone a thing that existed. I knew that there were informants. I knew that things like that existed, but I didn't know that whistleblowing specifically was something that was rather common within American K-12 schools. And I certainly didn't know that that's what was happening to me even at the time. Because again, you find yourself neck deep in something that you really don't understand. Excuse me. You're, uh, you know, you're doing the right thing and you're following the law and you're following your contractual obligations. And you assume that the people around you are going to do the same, in particular, the people who are, you know, quote unquote, in charge. And then they don't. Uh, and then all hell kind of breaks loose. So, Let me set up the environment. I'm going to name names. I'm going to get into this again as specifically as I can recall from memory. And then uh, we'll, you know, we'll we'll dive into it basically. And as you would expect, I should mention this too, that when a person goes through something like this, and many people do in particular within American K-12 schools, I mean, it's, it's theoretically in every working environment, certainly ones that are designed around a corporate apparatus. But 
I had no idea how frequent whistleblowing was in American K-12 education and within higher education. I just didn't know. And like I said, I didn't even know it was a thing. I just figured that there were just assholes that worked in, in school environments, and, uh, and every now and again, if they didn't like you, then they would treat you like trash, and you know that just showed how bad of a person that they were, but I didn't understand that there were motives and conspiracies and a lot of conspiring and meddling that goes on behind the scenes. So let me set up the timeline here very quickly. In, 2000, in December of 2004, I graduated from Miami with a health education degree. And I knew that that's what I wanted to teach. It was the arguably at the time, it was the most real subject and factually accurate subject that you could teach in school. That was my focus in college. I knew that's what I wanted to teach. I couldn't necessarily imagine teaching anything else, but that was that was my plan. So I had family who lived in, used to live in, in Charlotte County, Florida, in Punta Gorda, Florida. And then my grandparents moved from there specifically down to Lee County in Cape Coral, Florida, which is just, again, about 30 minutes south. So I knew the area. I had uh, vacationed in the area most of my life. I was well aware of the area. And the school district that I ended up working in was Charlotte County Public Schools. And in Florida, every county is a school district. So there aren't multiple school districts within a singular county like there are in Ohio, for example. Uh, it's just It's just set up completely differently. So I got down there and I started to apply lots of different places. Went to a job fair. That was a waste of time. And uh, again, no one was hiring health education majors. No one was hiring health teachers. A lot of these places already had health teachers. They all claimed to be the best. And I was like, no, I bet I'm better than they are, but whatever. And uh, I ended up walking into Punta Gorda Middle School one particular day. I was, you know, dressed up for an interview, basically. And I walked in with my resume and I said, I walked right up to the secretary. I said, hi, my name's Sean, and uh, I don't know if you're looking for school teachers, but I'd like to drop off my resume if, if that's all right. They said, sure, absolutely. They said, in fact, the principal's here. Would you like to talk to her? And I went, wow, that's quick. Okay, sure. I walked into her office, nice woman at the time. Her name was Dr. Donna DeGrazia, older lady. She should have retired, uh, clearly by that point. I mean, she was, she was old. But I handed her my, my resume, and one of the things that I had done and attached to my resume was, <clears throat> excuse me, is I, I basically gave a survey to all of my students when I student taught. And I gave them a very professional survey that my, that my dad had created back when he was uh, teaching undergraduate school in Texas and teacher education. and. Uh, and I, it was an excellent survey. It was two-sided. One of them had to do with content that was taught in the class by the teacher, and then the other, was, the other side of it had to do with behaviors and the kinds of behaviors that were exhibited by the teacher. And again, <clears throat> whether or not the students thought that the individual was, was competent and knew what they were talking about and was supportive and things of that nature, and again, knew their subject and whatever else. So when I student taught, I had very effective uh, evaluations by these by these students, all of them, as a matter of fact, regardless of the environment. I student taught in two separate environments. One was more of a suburban area, and then one of them was an inner city area. And uh, and I was effective in both areas. 
but I included that in my resume. I handed it to her. We had a nice conversation, and then that was the end of it. I would say about two months later, I was living at my grandparents' house uh, at the time down there. Two months later, the phone rings, and they offer me a job. And they wanted me to be a math and science teacher to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in their school. And I turned the job down. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a health education teacher. I, I, I'm not a math and science teacher. It's not my thing. But, you know, good luck in your search and take care. They were like, well, the offer's on the table and, you know, good luck. And I said, thanks. Uh, the other thing with this school was, and the other thing with the environment, is that the previous year, the semester that I had graduated from college, which would have been the fall semester of 2004, that's when Hurricane Charlie went through southwest Florida and basically blew their entire middle school to the ground. And it destroyed the school completely. So the school was currently being held in FEMA trailers. And these FEMA trailers also were housing displaced students and families because their homes had been destroyed. And that was on the other side of Interstate 75. So the school was just on the, the west side of Interstate 75. And then many of my students were living in FEMA trailers on the other side of Interstate 75. So, <clears throat> excuse me. As I brought up in a previous episode, the, the whole business of general strain theory, the, the environment itself was, was strenuous for a great many people. Lots of employees, of course, and then students themselves. So, long story short on that, during that summer, they had called me again and offered me the job again. And I turned it down again. And then later that day, I was golfing with my dad, and I decided to accept the job. Uh, there was some pep talking taking place on one of the golf holes, and, and that was basically it. You know, it was a, you want to be a school teacher? Yeah. You want to teach in Florida? Yeah. Well, accept the job. So I called her on the ninth hole as I'm walking up the fairway, and I said, is the job available? And she said, yeah. And I said, I'll take it. And she said, that made, that made my day. That's excellent. And I said, okay, great. I'll, I'll see you in a week. So less than a week later, I, I drove down and uh, filled out the papers and did all of that stuff. And one of the first moves that got made, which I'll never forget, is my mom and my grandpa drove me to the district office. And they looked at me and they said, whatever you do, do not sign the union papers. If they try to get you to be a member of a union and sign sign onto the union, don't do it. I said, okay, no problem. I won't. I didn't know anything about unions at the time. I had no idea. I didn't know how corrupt they were. I didn't know how they operated. In an American K-12 school district, I didn't have a clue. So I didn't sign those papers. They did push them in front of me, and I said, yeah, I'm not going to be a part of the union. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And uh, and I just, and, th- and I mean, that was it. I got out of there, and they had me take a drug test, and that was that was essentially the end of it. Then the professional development started, and this is where things got really weird. The professional development that, that, that existed was twofold. I, I was, you're basically at the whim of the entire district and the schedule where everybody just yanks you around like you're a dummy and you can't think for yourself. 
And I remember thinking to myself, I can think for myself. I know exactly how to teach school. I've, I've been doing it for at least a semester up north, I, I, you know, in two separate environments. Um, I can play the game. I, I, I know what's going on. So basically leave me alone and I'll figure it out kind of thing. But they always want to lead you through and, and, and basically program you into behaving particular ways and relying on certain people and X, Y, Z. And that's just not how I roll. So during one of these professional development presentations at the district level, and it was for all new teachers to the district, so you didn't have to be fresh out of college. There were other teachers that had taught other places, and they were showing up and receiving this professional development. Some of the professional development from their professional development director was being delivered on the topic of what to do on the first day of school which was, ironically enough, my dad's research. And that research was presented by a guy by the name of Harry Wong. And Harry Wong his, was well embedded in the American K-12 school systems because he wrote a book based on my dad's research called The First Day of School. So basically, here I am in this professional development session for new teachers to the district for the new year, receiving this professional development from a county professional development director. And the professional development education that he's providing the entire room, including me, is the work of my father. And the irony of that is astounding. And I immediately thought to myself, I'm in the wrong room. I don't belong here. And unfortunately, we were required to be there, certainly during two sections of the day. And I remember just not going back. I went the first day and I, I certainly stuck around for the first day, and then I just never returned. And of course, they made you sign in and sign in a sign-in sheet and the whole thing. And I, I just, I, I said, I've already signed the contract. They can't fire me because I, I didn't go. <laughs> so I just stopped going. I thought to myself, these people are lunatics. And, and frankly, they were talking down to everybody. And this particular guy running the whole thing was, was talking down to everybody. And, uh, and that's what was happening. And I don't like being talked to like that, so I, I just didn't go. Um, fast forward, I started, to, I started to teach, and I was basically given, they weren't tough students at all. They were students that were, that were neglected by the system. They were students that were categorized as not being academically successful enough to be in a mainstream class, but not be special education and categorized as that. So they called it something else, and the name of it has slipped my mind. It was like personal student learning, PSL, if, if memory serves. And it was only around for a little while, but as I later found out, that in itself was a scheme in order to separate the wheat from the shaft, so to speak. It was designed to separate the mainstream students' grades from that of special ed so that the school could look like it was more academically successful than maybe it was. Um, I, I hadn't experienced any of the workplace bullying yet, per se, although when I student taught, I would, I would be made fun of a little bit by some of the people who worked in the building because of the way that I dressed. And I dressed professionally. I wore suits. And I, I looked damn good doing it, too. Um, but most of them didn't. And even when I started teaching in Florida, 
the same thing occurred. I, I dressed to the nines and a lot of the people didn't. A lot of the people down there wore shorts and short sleeve collared shirts and tennis shoes. And that's how they dressed when they were school teachers. And that's not how I dressed. So I stood out. There's no doubt about that. But I, I dressed professionally. And some of that, again, came back to bite me a little bit, even in, in that environment. That's where I received a little bit of ridicule, like, you know, where'd you get those shoes? And, you know, that's a really nice shirt and blah, blah, blah. And I, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm dressed better than you are. I look better than you do. What's the problem? So, you know, it was little ticky tack things like that. And then I had a, I had a run in with the school principal uh on on one particular instance where she didn't like the fact that I was holding students accountable for their negative behavior and I couldn't understand this for the life of me I thought to myself if a student's breaking the law or they're 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 hurting other students then they have to be held accountable well she didn't like that she didn't like that I was writing referrals for one particular student who happened to be a a very large black male his name was Videl Cooper um, he had criminal written all over him. No, no father figure. Mom was a prostitute. Uh, older brother was a drug dealer, and he was a menace. He was a complete sociopath, and uh, and he was violent at that as well. Basically, um, you may recall that in previous episodes, I've told the story about a student who took a pencil to a kid's face and slashed him from the top of his forehead down over his eyeball down to his chin. That was Videl Cooper. That's what Videl Cooper did to a kid once uh, in a classroom across the hall from me. And then I was called on, of course, to help out in that situation. But regarding that, you know, situations like that, again, that's where the principal didn't like my approach of holding students accountable, which I was, fi- I was going by the book. You, you document their behavior, you fill out a referral, and then you send them to in-school suspension, and that's, that's what they do. I never did it for ticky-tack reasons. I always did it because they were violent and they were remarkably disruptive and they were uncivil and they wouldn't take they wouldn't take direction to to leave people alone. But I just couldn't for the life of me figure out why any administrator wouldn't back the play of a school teacher when it came to, you know, administering proper policy discipline toward a student. I just couldn't I couldn't understand that. So you have to understand my level of naivete at the time was was still there. I was certainly not an awake human being. Um, I was still controlled by the matrix to a great extent, but I was starting to work and make money, and that's that's what I knew. So anyway, uh, during all of that, though, I was working on a grant with my dad to bring laptop computers, wireless laptop computers, and a wireless printer all on a cart, basically. That would be provided by Dell computers to the school to the school building, specifically my classroom, so that I could use computers in my classroom periodically and have students online doing things online, which is exactly what I wanted to do. And because uh, again, these students would have loved it; they would have thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, and that was the plan. The principal and the school district were, were all on board. In fact, we had a meeting in my classroom where the tech director was like, "Wow, man, this is awesome. You've got some connections, and this is pretty cool." And uh, yeah, let's let's do it. And I'll set up the computers any way that I have to to get it linked into district stuff and blah blah blah. But then again, one particular day, the this the fe- after that meeting, the female principal came up to me 
because she wanted credit for for the grant and she wanted uh, all of this in the newspaper and you know look what look what our school's getting kind of thing and that wasn't my approach at all i'm i'm rather humble in that regard i like to think and it, it you know it was just let's get the computers here and uh you know a few phone calls will get made a grant will get written and then and then that'll be that she wanted more credit for it and she wanted more attention for it and i didn't want any which was you know interesting in the situation so we had a run in in the hallway once where she didn't like the fact again that i was holding this particular student accountable for for what they were doing and and for the disruptive you know nature of of who they were and and what was going on and i had written another referral for him and she came up to me and she just goes you need to you need to learn to handle this differently and you need to learn to manage him differently because every classroom has a Vidal Cooper in it and I thought to myself, no, it doesn't. In fact, the district itself had an academy where you would send delinquent students or you would just send, you know, those that are refusing to be civil. And they refused to send him there. They, they certainly could have, but they, they just refused. And, and they just kept him in my classroom, and, and that's the way that it was. But I remember looking at her, and I said, look, I said, uh, I'm going to go find him right now in the uh, in the cafeteria because he thinks he's gotten away with something, and I'm going to remind him that he hadn't gotten away with it. And that's when she actually started to yell at me, and she was screaming at me in the hallway. And I thought to myself, I don't think you're allowed to do this. I remember thinking that. I mean, other classes were going on, and here she was in a quiet hallway uh, in a FEMA trailer. With It was just the two of us, and she's just screaming at me that I need to change who I am and I need to change this and I need to change that. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, again, I don't think you get to do this. I don't think you get to talk to me this way and I don't think this is what gets to happen. So I went down anyway. I just walked past her and, and that was the end of that. I ignored her for the most part. And I went down to uh, the cafeteria and I found him and I just told him that he wasn't going to get away with it and that in-school suspension was going to occur. And it did. And then the very next day, she canceled the grant. The school principal approached me as I was walking up the ramp into the FEMA trailers, which was the school again. And she looked at me and she said, I don't think we need those computers in this environment at this time. So I've decided to not continue with the grant. Again, she wasn't writing the grant. My dad was writing it. But she wanted credit for it. And I looked at her and I said, why? And she said, I just don't think you're ready for it yet. And that was it. What I later came to find out, and this is actually when I met some of my friends is, uh, th that I was working with, is that, that when they brought, when, when this particular principal brought someone to the school building, they had a reputation for bringing in young, good-looking guys who she wanted to groom as being administrators. And she didn't know that I had no interest in being an administrator. And she didn't know that I detested administrators. And that I had said very early on in my life that I was never going to be an administrator. Again, I, I hated them with a passion. All throughout school when I was a student and, and onward, I just I could not stand them. So she basically lost complete control of me. Or she thought she had control of me, I should say. And she realized she didn't. Um, 
again, that, that was basically the end of that. And so I told that story to some guys that I golfed with that I worked with and they went, holy shit, like you were going to help out our building and she wanted credit for it. And then she just snatched it away from you. And I went, yeah, yep. I said, look, I just want to teach school. That's all I want to do. And then that's when I, that's when I found out the nickname golden boy. And I looked at a buddy of mine at the time who worked in the building and I said, what, what's golden boy? And she said, or he looked at me and he said, uh, anytime again that she brings in a young, you know, good looking guy from, from up North. And she had her apparently a reputation for hiring people up North. She would always try to groom them to be administrators. And all of the other teachers knew this and they all called the new teacher that would show up to the school golden boy. Because this particular principal would basically talk you up and make you sound like your shit doesn't stink. And I thought to myself, she's been doing that behind my back. And she's been, I mean, she's been doing that to whom exactly? And they were just like, well, we heard about you before you even showed up. And I went, really? And they went, yeah. And I said, well, that's odd because she doesn't even know me. And I said, and, and I'm not really a fan of hers. I think she's rather weak as a school administrator. But again, she was given credit for bringing the school back during a hurricane and blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself again, like, you know, it doesn't take much effort. You just follow orders and you do what you do. Um, but either way, that was essentially, I, I don't want to say the end of our relationship, so to speak. And we really didn't have one. I, I stayed away from her all the time. But uh, toward the end of her career, the very next year is when she began to retire. and she groomed another incoming administrator who was an assistant principal at the other middle school. And basically when the principal who, who hired me ended up leaving, we left on good terms because she recognized that I was an excellent school teacher and she recognized that she was in the wrong, which was refreshing actually. Now she also knew she was retiring and that she was going to leave and move away and never have to deal with it ever again. But she recognized that I didn't want to be an administrator. She recognized that I was an excellent school teacher. And the reason for that was, is because all of the students in my class academically succeeded. I, I had high expectations for all of them. I gave them quizzes every single week at the end of the week. And it was very structured and it was very intense. And uh, they ended up doing far better than mainstream students. And they were certainly not special education students. So. That was the end of our relationship, so to speak. But here was the kicker, and this is a big this is a big component of it because this is the workplace bullying aspect and philosophical aspect that stretches through the rest of this story and the rest of my experience. The school district, the school in itself, and some of the teachers in the school building had this practice of giving out fake money as a reward for academically succeeding or, or behaving in a positive way. And someone introduced them to this, and I don't know who it was, but this is a philosophy that I do not subscribe to. Um, monetarily rewarding students for doing what should be the expectation is ridiculous. And no one's going to convince me otherwise. So they wanted us to buy them basically gifts, and then they would have this day where, and this was just for like 
my students and then some of the other students in the in the general area uh, of, of of teachers in the little trailer where we were teaching, where they would just do it for us. They didn't do it for the mainstream students or even the special ed students per se, but they just did it for ours, which I thought was strange. And so they had again this fake monetary monopoly money system that they called Eagle Bucks, and so. They wanted us to hand out these these dollars, and I refused to do it. I said, "I'm not going to do this. This is not this is not good." I said, uh, "You know, if and why are we buying them gifts with district money? They're not they're not poor per se, and and we you know they don't they shouldn't be receiving toys in school. You know what the hell's going on? This isn't Toys R Us. It's supposed to be a school." So, excuse me. So that occurred. And she didn't like that I didn't want to participate in that. In fact, she hated it. Um, when she left, the incoming school principal, her name was Kathy Corsoletti. Now, she has since retired just within the summer of 2023 here. And she should have retired long before. But one of the characteristics that I've learned about when it comes to workplace bullies is that they don't want to relinquish any power. And they don't want to relinquish any control because many of them suffer very specifically and clinically from narcissistic personality disorder. In my opinion, Kathy Corsoletti, the incoming middle school principal where I worked, is a narcissist, without a doubt. There, there, there is no way around it. And narcissism, again, is a mental disorder. They, they are pathological liars. They will hurt and abuse people. And they will do it all in the name of control and all in the name of power. So she took over. And as she was in the process of taking over, I remember approaching her in her office because she was doing these kind of like get to know me kind of things. And it was my turn to go get to know her. And I remember looking at her and thinking she's in a position where she wants to be liked. And she wants approval from the staff because she doesn't really know anybody over here. Uh, and at the exact same time, I have something that I want her to give me. So I made it sound like we can help each other, basically. And I told her, I said, I'm a health education major. My two years of being uncertified in, in math and science is officially up. If, if you make me a health education teacher, <clears throat> excuse me then what you're going to find out is that the academic success of the other students in the entire building is going to increase. Because if people are learning how to take care of themselves and take care of themselves both inside and outside of the environment, mentally, emotionally, physically, and socially, then they're going to academically succeed and retain more information and so on and so on. She agreed. And again, long story short, she made me the health education teacher. Because during those two years when we were working in FEMA trailers, the new school building was being built. And it was a $14 million, three-story, brick mental institution. And that's really what it looked like. It, it actually looks like a prison if you see it from, from the side of the road. Um, so either way, that was that. And then my third year, we were still teaching in the, in the FEMA trailers, and they threw every amount of student that you could possibly imagine in my in my classrooms i had 47 students in each class 
And then at the semester, I would get 47 more students in each class across like seven periods. So I theoretically had anywhere from, I had, I had about 250 students per semester, 500 students total in the year, different students. Outside of gym class, there wasn't another class that had this many students. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You could have heard a pin drop in my classroom with 47 students crammed into a small classroom in a FEMA trailer. I didn't even have enough seats for the students. Some of them were sit, I mean, at least two of them would sit at my desk. And I would stand up and I'd move around the room and I did what I did. Again, I made a reputation as being the teacher that students didn't mess with, but that students loved. And when you have that kind of a reputation in an environment like that, that's threatening to someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, in particular if that person is your school principal. So that was basically the end of teaching in the FEMA trailers. The next year, at least to my recollection, that was kind of the end of it. Uh, the next year, we moved into this new school building. And given the fact that the principal was a narcissist, she actually thought that because we were moving into a school building that we would never have violence ever again, that there wouldn't be a single fight that would, that would break out, uh, that no one would get in trouble because look at this nice building. She was a buffoon because that's not accurate and that doesn't happen. Just because there's nice things on the walls and, you know, there's fresh paint and new bricks and new chairs and desks and, you know, a stereo system in the ceiling with a microphone and, uh, you know, projector screens and the whole thing, that there's not going to be violent or, an, or unethical behavior. And there certainly was among students. That goes without saying. But what I continued to witness was the unethical behavior of the people that I was working with and around and the lack of consistency when it came to following their contractual and procedural op uh, operation, basically, or obligation, I should say. So starting from, again, going back in time very quickly, I, I, I started to witness a lot of this behavior almost on day one of, of being a school teacher. So therapeutically, um, what I would do is, is I would go home almost on a daily basis and I did it for maybe like, oh, I don't know, at least six months. I, I would go home and I would open up my laptop computer and I would type on a word document what I had witnessed. I'd type out the names of the people who were involved, including staff members, the time in which the incident would occur, and then what the result of, of the particular incident was. And what I was recording again were people not doing their job. That's basically what I was doing. What I didn't know I was doing at the time was I was prepping myself for being a whistleblower. I had no idea. I was just getting this out of me so that I wouldn't swallow it and that, uh, you know, a, a, number, a number of other things again were occurring and I would write those down and I'd say, well, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. And so I started to do this again more frequently. And when it blew up, it really started to again blow up around the business of those eagle bucks and using this money as a means of rewarding students 
and they wanted to use it. And then now at this point, I should say it became mainstream. It went from being this underground system and this, you know, little reward system that would occasionally be used by a few. And now all of a sudden it was being used across the entire district with every student in every building. And this is where the whole business of PBIS comes from, positive behavior interventions and supports. PBIS is complete and utter horseshit. It's completely designed again to reward students monetarily with material gifts and fake money for doing what they should already be doing, which is being civil and then academically succeeding. You can't possibly create a more unethical system to be used in a more unfair way across numerous different school teachers. And that's what happened. School teachers started to use it for some students because they would say, I really like your t-shirt. That's my favorite sports team too. Here's an eagle buck. And then other teachers like me wouldn't use them at all. We would get a stack of them at the beginning of of the year and I would put a rubber band around them and throw them in the back of my uh back of my drawer of my desk and I would I wouldn't touch them all year long and students knew that I didn't hand them out and I told them why um this this entire program got even worse to the point where they were forcing it on on the teachers uh so much so that they had one of the other school teachers donate money to this organization that created lanyards where they wanted every single employee of the school building to wear a lanyard around your neck with a pouch in it to where you could put this fake money in a pouch on a lanyard around your neck. And if you didn't wear the lanyard, you would get scolded in the hallways by administrators and counselors and and your fellow teachers for not wearing it. Well, I'm not a slave. And I'm not going to wear your uh, your tchotchkes all over my. I mean, it was like Office Space. It was like the movie Office Space, you know, where they Jennifer Aniston's character at the uh, at the restaurants forced to wear the flare and all these pins that have like motivational shit on them. That's basically what we were told to do, and I wasn't going to do it. Um, the only thing I wore around my neck was my my pass, my my ID badge, and I didn't do that all the time either. But uh, they wanted us to do that, and I thought, well, okay, that kind of makes sense. That way people know that I'm an employee and not just wandering the hallways, I guess. But either way, um, so I refused to do that, and then that's when I started to ask questions. And when I started to ask questions, or when you start to ask questions in these environments, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, this is where they cut you loose. And this is where they start to do what they do with people like me, which is they build a plan against you and they scheme and they meddle and they do what they have to do in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish, but basically get you out of the way because they see you now as being a hurdle. You're effective at your job. You have influence with numerous people, not just students and parents, but fellow staff members. People liked me more than they did the administration, rightfully so. What's not to like? And, uh, <laughs> and basically that was, that was, that, that's what they started to do. So the, the workplace bullying kicked into high gear. Um, 
it starts off usually in American K-12 schools with observations. An administrator will enter your build, enter your, uh, your your classroom, and they'll do observations in your room more than they will others. This is one of the methods they used. This was one of the methods they used with me, and I knew what they were doing. They were harassing me, and it was harassment. Uh, they would, and I, again, I taught health education, so when they would walk into the room, I was always teaching a very serious subject. I mean, we weren't screwing around. We were never playing games. We were all, I was always either lecturing or showing them a short clip or we were reading something together or they were writing something, whatever we, whatever it is that we were doing, it was always very serious. And, uh, and they would come in and, and they would, again, either chuckle about something that I was talking about, but they would be disruptive as administrators. And it wasn't just her, it wasn't just the principal, it was all of them. So there were, th- again, there were three assistant principals. There were Three counselors, and there was one. There was one principal. Um, that's a lot of. That's a lot of bosses. I mean, again, it's like Office Space. That's why I like the movie Office Space so much, and I relate to it because it really is like that. It's like having five Lumbergs, uh, you know, all all paying attention to you at the same time, and nobody's on the same page, and they all gossip about you, and they all talk about you, and whatever else. One of the things that they were doing too with me is they were withholding information. So a parent would have a concern about something and they'd want to get a hold of me, but they would get a hold of the administrator. And then the administrator would not tell me that the parent had contacted them about either me or about, some, or, you know, about a student or a, a concern that they thought that I could solve. They, as administrators, also hated that when a parent would call them and say, I think Sean can handle this. I think Mr. Brooks can handle this. I, I don't trust you as administrators or counselors, but I trust Mr. Brooks. I mean, <laughs> when when that would happen, and it would happen with regularity, they would just get pissed. Um, and I found out about that through a number of different people. But I found that out, again, through students and even parents themselves, and then some employees would tell me, and it was it was a little ridiculous. But the workplace bullying continued, and there were... I would say two rather large watershed moments before the uh, the apex of of my time in this middle school. The first again had to do with the Eagle Buck system. So they kept ramming this home. They finally conducted an evaluation as to its levels of effectiveness. It was deemed completely ineffective. The vast majority of the teaching population didn't like it. Upwards of 76% of the staff members hated it. They knew that the students hated it, but again, she was a narcissist and she didn't care. So she rammed it home even more and continued to reward the people that were using the program and then would punish the people who, who didn't. So I took it upon myself to email the PBIS director at the state level. And I decided to ask them some questions about the program. This was again a statewide thing now. And it was becoming a nationwide thing. So I reached out to them and I said, I'm a school teacher in Florida. And uh, here's, here's the system we use and it's being misused. And it's being misused by even students. Students were using this monopoly money as an underground currency the same way that uh, prisoners use cigarettes in prison. It was being used to engage in sexual favors between 
students and dare each other to do particular things. You know, uh, I'll give you five eagle bucks if you run up to that girl and grab her ass. Things like that. And um, and then, of course, they were using it to bribe each other to do one another's homework and coerce each other to do one another's homework. Keeping in mind that you could, you know, you could spend these eagle bucks, so to speak, on school supplies in the school and and other events and it was completely unethical that that's the overall point the whole thing was a complete waste of time and and totally unethical and it i mean you think about what it was programming them to do it was programming them to again work for the man for money so that you can buy shit that's it that's what they were programming these children to do and i was not doing that and I knew what I knew what was going on again from the very start, and it just felt bad in my bones. And my intuition's always been pretty damn good, so I, I continued to not do it. But when I contacted the state person and I started to ask them questions, those emails got back to the principal herself, and this was the first this was the first real horrible encounter, I'd say. Um, she came up to me in my classroom in between classes. So it was my off period and she was coming into my classroom at the end of my off period before the bell rang, before the student, my, my last period of the day showed up and, uh, and she started screaming at me in my classroom. And when I say screaming, I mean, she was screaming, uh, very high pitched lost control, uh, you know, she, she'd lost her mind. Keeping in mind, again, she's, a, she's a, a clinical narcissist. I mean, she clearly suffered from narcissistic personality disorder. There's no doubt about it. Um, with that said, when she was doing that and, and screaming at me about how, you know, how dare I contact the state and you sh- you know, I should have brought it to her first, which I, of course, did numerous times. And I even brought it to a separate committee that existed in the school. Uh, and I told them, this is remarkably problematic. We have to stop doing this. It's, it's hurting students, and it's, they're not academically succeeding, and it's a waste of time and, and everything else. Uh, most of them disagreed with me because they were brainwashed sycophants of, of, the, of the school principal. So, again, no one's, thinking, no one's thinking clearly in these environments. They're all thinking the same. And as you've heard me say, when everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. Thank you, General Patton. Um, you know, it, it, that's exactly what was going on. So she kept screaming at me, and then that's when my students started to walk in. And those doors are rather thin. I mean, they're wood doors with a glass panel. So the students could hear her screaming at me in my classroom. Now. I've since learned, and I learned after I left the district, that when you do that to another employee, you can lose your job. What I should have done at the time was file a formal complaint against her for doing that. I didn't do that because I didn't know I could. I didn't know anything about the process. So that occurred. Uh, I, I felt you know, a bit violated to some extent. I mean, it was, it was rather, uh, it was incredibly unprofessional. Um, cause I was, again, I was asking logical questions. I wasn't making fun of anybody. I was just asking questions like, is there a way to improve this? Can we just do away with it? You know, what gives? 
And again, I didn't know it was a statewide program and that it was being implemented nationwide at this point. So she ends up leaving and then the new students come in and then they all sit down and they have huge eyeballs and they all looked at me and they said, you were getting screamed at. And I said, yeah, I was. And they said, why? And I looked at him and I said, because I don't do the Eagle Buck thing. And she doesn't like that. And they said, you're kidding. And they all, these were eighth graders. They were wicked smart. And they all looked at me and they went, we don't like Eagle Bucks. <laughs> I said, I know you don't. I, I, n- nobody does. No one with a brain does. And so that, that was basically kind of the end of that. Um, th- the next part was when she, st- she engaged in a faculty meeting where she basically sexually harassed the entire staff. I've told this story before on the show, but it's a part of this, so I have to bring it up. In an actual faculty meeting, she started the faculty meeting by talking about some academic thing that was taking place in the district, and then she decided to waste the rest of the time because these faculty meetings would last, again, like 45 minutes to half an hour, somewhere in there. She decided to waste the rest of the time by having the administrators come to the front of the room you can't make this up. I'm not, I'm not that clever. I certainly wouldn't be able to make something like this up. And she had them all put a hat on, a baseball cap. And on both sides of the brim of the baseball cap were two tea bags that were taped to the to the front of the brim, hanging down, basically. And she started off this particular game by saying, but by basically defining what teabagging is. Now, in sexual slang, the term teabagging has to do with placing testicles on another person's body. So she actually said this and joked about it and was kind of laughing about it. And then she had these administrators come up and they all went along with it. Not a single one of them thought that this was unprofessional or unethical or anything. And she had she said, here's the game. She said, depending on the administrator for whichever grade they, they oversee or manage, whichever administrator wins, uh, we're going to draw names out of a hat and there's going to be a school teacher for that grade that wins a prize. Again, we were all being talked down to. We were all being treated like we were children. And I thought to myself, uh, why am I here? What am I doing? So th- they proceeded to attempt to flip the tea bags onto the brim of the hat and to the point where they would get both of the tea bags on the hat. Some dumbass created this game before the faculty meeting and some and, and clearly the room of dumbasses who were participating in this all thought this was a good idea. And so they did this and people were getting up and leaving. There were a couple of teachers that got up and left. Uh, I sat in the back nervously and was like, what in the F is, is going on here? What, what is this? I had, a, I had a female school teacher, math teacher. She turned to me and she said, Sean, she says, what, what is teabagging? And I said, do you really want to know? And she goes, yeah. And I went, okay, here's what it is. And I told her and she goes, you're kidding. And I said, no, I'm not. And they know what it means too. And she goes, they can't do this. And I said, I know they can't, but they're doing it. And so long story short with that, 
what ended up happening was, is somebody contacted the district office and complained about the faculty meeting. Now, it should have been me, but it wasn't me. Somebody else did. I don't know who. I don't know, again, if, if a student found out and a, and a parent ended up calling the district or if another staff member made a formal complaint or whatever it was. But this right here, again, should show you the lack of brains among, this, um, among these administrators, in particular the, the school principal. So when that occurred, the very next day, I was, I was yanked out of my classroom in the middle of my class. They actually got another substitute teacher to fill in for me in the middle of me lecturing. And they pulled me into her office. And the female school principal and the male assistant principal looked at me and started to accuse me of filing a formal complaint against her about the faculty meeting. And they were doing so in a very probing way. They were saying things like, so what'd you think of the faculty meeting the other day? I said, what are you talking about? And they said, was there something that took place in the faculty meeting that you didn't like? I said, what are you talking about? And then I basically just said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know what this is. I said, I didn't like the faculty meeting. I didn't like the way that you all behaved, but I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and I really didn't. I, I didn't know that they were looking to blame me for something and then, of course, you know, try to hang me out to dry. Turns out that I wasn't the only school teacher that they yanked out of that classroom that day. So what they started doing basically was headhunting, and they were trying to find the employee or a employee that complained uh, to the district office about the faculty meeting and what had what had gone on. Um, I don't think they found anybody. I think they suspected clearly me and then other people, and it wasn't me. I promise. I, I would certainly own up to it, and I sh like I said, I should have done it, but uh, I didn't. Um, and then we had another faculty meeting that was one of those impromptu faculty meetings where you always know that something juicy is about to happen because it's not your regular scheduled faculty meeting. So before students showed up, uh, somebody's voice came over the PA system and said, all staff members meet in the media center and blah, blah, blah. So we all went, uh-oh, what's this about? Because normally that's what it meant. And again, it meant somebody, somebody was uh, going to get fired or so, you know, something terrible was going to happen or, or whatever, or something good was going to happen. But uh, either way, she was standing at the front of the room, not remorseful in the slightest, because the district, again, had gotten to her and told her that uh, you need to apologize for what you did. So she gave the non-apology apology. And she looked at everybody and she said, I'm sorry if someone was offended. If someone was offended in that faculty meeting, then I'm sorry. And, that, and that's, or no, she said, I apologize. Uh, yeah, that was basically it. I apologize if someone was offended. And I thought to myself, that's not an apology. That's not her owning up to the fact that she's a dumbass and that she had no business doing that. At the same time, uh, once, the, once the meeting ended, we all kind of got up slowly and everybody left. And she even tried to single out a couple of people and basically scold a couple of people without naming names and saying, you know, if, if, if you have a concern, you should come to us instead of going to the district and blah, blah, blah. So she was doing that too, which was, again, remarkably unethical because she's just threatening people. But 
at the at the end of that meeting, the union representative for the building, his name was Ron Henry. He was retired military, a retired military administrator. Um, his name will come up later. He was not a not a good person, but he was innocent enough on the outside. Except, I'll I'll describe later what what occurred with him. But he was the union rep for the building, and he came up to me and he goes. He goes, I know you didn't like that meeting. He goes, a lot of us didn't. He said, but what just happened in that faculty meeting with her apologizing, he said, that's that's the only time uh, you're ever going to hear that. And he said, that's going to be the end of this situation. He said, they're not going to fire her. They're not going to get rid of her. They're not going to move her to a different building. He said, that's it. That's the extent of her discipline right there. I said, she didn't even apologize. And he goes, I know. He goes, uh, you know, people don't like her, but she's here and she's here to stay. And I thought, shit, well, this environment isn't going to get any better. And it didn't. Uh, so that occurred. And she hidden, she, you know, on, on that particular day, when, whenever she would get scolded or, or be made to look like a complete ass, she would always hide in her office and, and not be seen and not walk around the building. Um, again, she was a borderline alcoholic too. She would always wear like cocktail dresses and high heels. She, she just, she looked like she rolled out of bed after three bottles of wine. She looked terrible. Um, and just an ugly ass woman, but either way, that was, that, that, that's, (laughs) that was that. And then she came at, and then again, this is where they turned their guns against me again, is they, they came after me regarding trying to get rid of me based on what I was teaching. Now I was teaching the curriculum and that's that's what was occurring. And I had always done that and I taught right out of the textbook and it was state curriculum that was approved by the district that I helped approve. Um and then that that was it. But the reason that they started to come after me after the faculty meeting and then after uh the the curriculum stuff was because I was witnessing the sexual grooming of female students at the hands of Ron Henry, the retired uh, military administrator who was a math teacher in sixth grade, and he was again the union rep for the building, and I was not union. So you have to keep this in mind here moving forward. So. I was witnessing this happening, and, and there were a couple of things that he would do with female students where he would hug them, which you should never do. He would put his hands on the backs and the tops of their shoulders as he's walking behind them. You should never do that either. He would grab the sides of their arms and rub their arms, again, as he's standing behind them. Very, very uh, predatory grooming kind of behavior. And I knew this because I taught health education and I was formally trained in this. I saw this kind of behavior. Again, I this was my education. <laughs> there was no avoiding it. I, I knew what he was doing and I didn't like it. So I went through the right chains and I, and I went through the right communication avenue. Um, and I also had other teachers come up to me and they they were witnessing this behavior too, and they wanted me to do something about it. And I remember looking at them saying, well, why don't you do something about it? I mean, we've all seen it. Why don't we all just 
tell everybody at the exact same time that this is happening and, and you need to get rid of this person. And they all went, we're, we're going to lose our jobs. If we do that, we'll lose our jobs. That was always the, the fear tactic. And that's always what workplace bullies do in these environments is they always count on you being too afraid to do the right thing for fear of losing your job. Now, I never feared really losing my job. I knew that doing the right thing mattered more always. And that's what I did. So I ended up having on one particular day shortly after having some staff members come up to me and tell me that, I had some students come up to me in my room and they said, we want to tell you something. And I said, go for it. And that's what they told me. They said that Mr. Henry would do you know, physically uh, aggressive things with, with students, so to speak, uh, that were rather creepy. And then they told me this story. They said that he would put Jolly Ranchers in his pockets and he always wore slacks, tucked in collared shirt, nice shoes and slacks. And he would have female students reach into his pockets to pull out Jolly Ranchers. And I, I looked at him and I said, really? And they said, yeah. He does it in the hallway, and he'll do it in his own classroom with a classroom full of students. And he'll say, if you want a Jolly Rancher, you got to come in my pocket and, and pull it out. And I said, is it only female students? And then they laughed, and they said, yeah, it is, because one of the male students tried to do it, and he grabbed his arm and pushed him away and said, only female students. And I thought to myself again, I mean, I looked at him and I said, have you told your parents this? Have any of you told your parents this? And they were like, no, we haven't. And I looked at, I looked at all of them and I said, you need to stay away from him now. You need to stay away from him. Don't play that game with him anymore. Don't let him touch you. Don't, uh, don't, don't put your hands in his pockets for candy, for Christ's sake. You know, don't do any of that. And, uh, and they agreed and they said they wouldn't. And then I, I documented all of this because, again, I was documenting everything that I've been describing and much more. I was, I was documenting all of this at home on my personal laptop computer. So I documented this that day. And then that afternoon before school ended, I walked into the principal's office, keeping in mind that she's a narcissist and a total piece of shit. And I walked into her, uh, into her office and I handed this writing to her in, in paper form in hard copy. And I looked at her and I said, read this. And I sat down in front of her desk and she grabbed it and she read it. And I looked at her and I said, you know what you have to do here. And she said, I appreciate you handling, hand, handing this to me and, and telling me about this. I'll, um, I'll, you know, I'll handle it. And I thought to myself, we're going to find out if you handle this or not, because here's the policy. And it, it works this way in every school building. If something like that occurs where someone is being sexually groomed, they're immediately removed from the building. That day, the school principal has a contractual obligation and a legal obligation to contact the HR director. The HR director hears the complaint, hands it over to the investigator, and then the HR director contacts the employee and then tells them that they are on paid administrative leave. While an investigation takes place, we're not at, we're not at liberty to talk about what that is right now. But you know, they they go through all their their HR jargon, and then and then they remove the person from from the building. 
they hire a substitute, and then they interview parents and students and even staff members to get to the bottom of what was actually happening. None of that happened. None of it. There wasn't a single policy that was followed. None of what I just said actually happened. And this was the kicker. So Ron Henry ended up coming up to me because our our classrooms were just a couple of classrooms apart from each other. And he came up to me and he goes, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I looked at him and I went, what? And he goes, uh, he he said, Kathy Corsoletti, the the school principal, just told me that uh, or or asked me if I was sexually grooming and, and physically touching female students and putting candy in my pockets and having them reach in and whatever else. And I said, no, I'm not doing any of that. And, and I said, and, and he's, he told me, again, keep in mind, he's the one now telling me this story. He told me that, uh, that well, they've received some complaints and he just, she just wanted to make sure that it was true and find out if it was true or not. Like he was going to tell the truth anyway, because what, what's he going to say? Is he actually going to admit to it? Of course not. So he didn't admit to it, clearly. And then he again, he looks at me and he says, so I decided to ask her who filed the complaint and who's making these allegations. And she said that she couldn't tell him. And so he looked at me and he goes, see what I mean? No due process. We don't have any rights here. No due process. And I thought to myself, look, you're, you're a sexual predator. And ironically enough, just to backtrack quickly, he was friends with another school teacher who was a sexual predator in the building who had been fired for kissing a female student. So birds of a feather flocked together. And that's back when we were in the FEMA trailers. Um, so anyway. All of that happened, and then that's again that was that was the breaking point for the administration. That's when they came after me with everything that they had. Instead of just getting rid of him and doing what they were contractually obligated to do, they came after me. What I witnessed then over the over the final year of me teaching in this middle school was one assault after another on on me for doing what I was contractually obligated to do. And then they were clearly engaging in what I've referred to as the process, which is they're building a case against you, excuse me, in order to get rid of you. And they knew what they were doing and they were scheming and meddling behind the scenes and they were, they were shit talking me and, and doing everything that they do. Um, one particular day, apparently a female student cut herself, emotionally cutting herself, okay, like uh, slashing herself with a razor blade. They decided to try to blame me by asking me on my way out of the building at the end of the day what subject I was teaching in my class that particular week or that particular day. And they actually thought that this student who I didn't have uh, that that they had somehow learned about cutting in my class as a as a way to solve your emotional problems, and that this was all due to the fact that they have a health teacher and that health teacher was me. You can see their their level of ignorance and and blind uh, 
following of this principle and and their schemes and their meddling. I mean, they they were not thinking about anything logical whatsoever. So that was a constant thing that last year. And then they ended up engaging in two final things, which broke the camel's back. The first thing was they started to come after me again based on my subject matter. And they were saying, we have too many students repeating your your class. So instead of rescheduling the schedules for student classes correctly, we want you to only teach a couple of health subjects for an entire semester, not the entire curriculum. Now that breaks state policy and it breaks county policy too. So they wanted me to, they were just fucking with me. Sorry for cursing, but that's, that's what they were doing. They were, they were basically asking me to break policy to accommodate the fact that parents were complaining about how their students were repeating these elective courses. And one of those courses was mine. Again, based on Florida state policy, they were to take health education one time. I had students take my class three times, and they weren't supposed to, but that was because the people running the scheduling in the building didn't know their ear hole from their asshole, and they didn't know they did not schedule. So um, what they started to do was just bully me regarding that. They sent an administrator into my room who was new to the building and was a sycophant of the school principal. Uh, in the middle of one of my classes and interrupted my class and started to talk to me in front of my students about my curriculum. And I said, you need to make an appointment. You need to make an appointment. This is the wrong time. Have a nice day. And we eventually went out into the hallway and I said, you need to make an appointment. I'll talk with you. I'm teaching right now. Stop, stop fucking with me and, and leave me alone. And, uh, and then, you know, that'll be that. He, of course, took that back to the principal and said, well, he's being an asshole and blah, blah, blah. So then, then she started to e basically email me late at night. I mean, it was just really weird stuff. She would email me and intimidate me and say, oh, I, you know, I want to meet with you in the morning. You know, come into my office. And it was just all of these bullying tactics that get used, again, by a person who, who has narcissistic personality disorder. They're a sociopath. They have no remorse. They have. Uh, they don't have an honest bone in their body, and and that's that's what what it was. Um, then one particular day, this was the second part of this, which again was kind of the, the real straw that broke the camel's back. After everything I've already mentioned, is it was my off period, and the fire alarm went off, and so in typical fashion, everybody it was a drill. But everybody leaves the building, and we're out in this field, and I didn't have a class, but I'm standing out there, and I'm standing next to this other class, and I'm talking with a couple of students in this other class who I had in my class. And as I'm talking to them, and there are two female students, and they're at the front of the line, one of the female math teachers who was in the seventh grade, if memory serves, she walks in between me and the female student that I'm talking with, and she forearm shivers the female student in the shoulder and knocks her to the ground. She basically takes her, her whole weight and she just hits her with her shoulder and she, she fell to the ground. Again, walking directly in between the two of us. And there wasn't two feet between the two of us. 
So she almost hit me, but she ran into the female student, knocked her to the ground, and then her female friend immediately picked her up, and so did I. And the female teacher turned around and shot her a dirty look and then just kept walking. And I thought to myself, you just assaulted and battered a female student. I thought to myself, your ass is mine now. Now I'm going to come after you with everything I've got. So later that day, I met with um, that, female, that female student because I was, I was pissed. I was so pissed, I'd have killed her. I mean, I, I was that angry. I'd have just snatched the life right out of her. But I met with a female student in my room, and I said, she just hit you and knocked you to the ground. That happened on camera. There are security cameras everywhere. There were numerous witnesses. I'm going to get this woman fired, and I need you to go home and tell your parents what happened. And she said that she would. That afternoon, when, when the bell rang for everybody to leave, this school teacher was walking down the staircase from the second floor, and I approached her on the staircase, and I started to lean into her about what she had done. I said, you'd better apologize to that student and you'd better apologize to her parents for knocking her to the ground intentionally. She goes, oh, I was just messing with her. I didn't, I didn't intend to do anything and it was an accident and whatever else. And I went, no, you didn't. It was intentional. You knew exactly what you were doing. And I said, and that's what I would do if I was you. I said, but her parents are going to find out about this and, and I'm, I'm going to file complaints against you 100%. That's when she got real quiet and she started to panic. I walked into my room to grab my stuff so I could leave, and she ends up walking right into the principal's office, and she tells the principal that I was lying about this entire situation and that Sean is going to complain to the district about me knocking a student to the ground, and that's not what happened, and Sean's lying about this. That's what she actually told the principal, and she was friends with the principal which means what do you think happened? Absolutely nothing. Nothing happened. She remained in her position, and then they continued to turn their guns against me. So much so that based on the scheduling and the curriculum fiasco that I brought up just a moment earlier, they decided to actually set up a meeting with me, the district uh, curriculum director, for health education, who was not a health education major. This was a woman basically off the back of a turnip truck, and one of the assistant superintendents of the school district. And they and they the three of us were in this were in uh the 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 school principal's conference room and they're looking at me and they're saying if you don't do what the principal wants you to do regarding curriculum, then you're being insubordinate. And that right there was the first time I heard the phrase insubordinate. And I thought to myself, they want me gone. They want me gone. And they're, they're now starting to use all of the language associated with trying to get rid of me. And I said, I'm not being insubordinate. I'm following state policy because there's only one person in this room who's talking with state officials about what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm doing it because I've been doing it this entire time. She's a bully. She's bullying me. She's harassing me. That's what she's doing. And I'm continuing to do my job. This is a scheduling problem. It has nothing to do with 
with anything else. This is a scheduling problem. Um, and then that was that was the end of the meeting. There was no resolution other than they were now going to kick this up to HR. And that's what they did. One of the lackeys who was just this ballless human being, uh, he, ha- he had absolutely no spine. He was a total piece of trash. He came up to me in the middle of my class one particular day toward the end of the school year, and he handed me a letter in an envelope. And he said, uh, he goes, go ahead and take a look at this. And I went, all right, thanks. And I grabbed it and I threw it on the counter and I kept teaching. And he goes, you're going you're gonna to want to look at that pretty quickly. And I went, I'll look at it later. I'm in the middle of something. And I looked at him and I said, have a nice day. And he left. Then my class left when the class was over and I opened it up and it was a request to meet with the principal and the HR director and any union representation that I wanted in her office the very next morning. And they didn't say why. And I thought, this, is, uh, this isn't good. <laughs> this is not good. Because again, stretching back to the very beginning of all of this, you have to remember that I was the school teacher who also held students accountable for breaking, breaking the rules and for breaking policy and breaking the code of conduct. I did this my entire career. I did it the entire time I was there. And as you would expect when you do that, for, for uh, uncivil students and inappropriate students, they're going to have parents who disagree with the teacher and defend their student no matter what. So apparently what had happened was is another student that I had disciplined and who had been disciplined 10 other times by 10 other teachers. Um, they just decided to use me in a recent discipline referral that I wrote for this student. And they basically used a parental complaint that this parent was complaining about me, about the way that I was treating their son. I said, I'm not mistreating your son. I said, I I held him accountable because he called a black female student the N-word in the middle of, uh, you know, in in the middle of of a cafeteria. I I said, actually, he didn't even say that. He said the word ligger with an L. He would walk past her and go, what's up, ligger? And, and I mean, you can't do that either. You can't, you can't do that. And she was a nice gal. And I mean, she was a, a good student and polite and civil, and he clearly was not. I remember the parent's excuse for her son's behavior by saying that there's no way that her son would ever do that, even though her son admitted it. She said there's no way her son would do that because her son is mixed race. I thought to myself, you've got to be shitting me. I mean, so, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You're all retards and uh, congratulations. So there were lots of incidents like that. Um, You know, administrators, again, would withhold information from me and they would keep me in the dark on parental concerns about this, that, or the other. And again, administrators never, they rarely tell parents the truth about anything. They're always in the game of image protection. Which is why in the book, when I wrote about this, that was one of the uh, that was one of the the chapter titles was image protection, if memory serves. That that it's it's their number one priority. So all of that occurred, and then the HR meeting happened, and I walked into the room, and by this point, I had in fact it was it was that afternoon that I when I got that letter before the actual meeting when I decided to sign the union paper. And I immediately talked with the union representative for the district 
and uh, and he was he was a spineless piece of trash too. He acted like he was a tough guy, but he wasn't. I didn't know at the time that again HR directors and human re- or I'm sorry uh, HR directors and t- and teacher union representatives that they work hand in hand that they are uh, they're in each other's back pockets all the time and uh, you know th- that's that's what they do and they do that again to protect the district at the expense of an ethical school teacher so I signed on the union dotted line. I paid them 60 bucks or whatever the hell it was. And he comes to the meeting the next day and he sits next to me. And when I walked into the room, the HR director has these cold, dead eyes. His name was Chuck Brenner. Um, sounds like an HR name, doesn't it? But he was a complete piece of shit. And he was, a, he was on the same side of the table as, as, the, as Kathy Corsoletti, the female administrator. And in the middle of the table was a folder that had paper in it, probably about I'd say two fingers thick um, of, of white paper in it, in a manila folder. And it started off with Kathy Corsoletti talking first and pointing at the paper and saying, we've never had more complaints about a school teacher ever than Sean Brooks. And that more parents have complained about him than, than any other teacher in the building, which I knew was not true. It was a complete lie. I was the most liked school teacher in the building. I was the most respected. I was arguably the most professional. Again, this is what they do in these environments when workplace bullying and whistleblowing takes place. At the time, I was so naive that I didn't even know that all of this was happening as a result of retaliation for the fact that she was covering up the sexual grooming of female students and the physical abuse of, a, of at least one or more students because I knew of another school teacher that was doing the same thing and, and physically hitting students. Um, again, somebody listening to this, I know you'd say, well, Sean, why didn't you go to the police? I actually did. And it was a former resource officer for the building. And they looked at me and they said, you'll lose your job. And I said, well, I'm not sure I care about that. I said, uh, th- they're breaking the law. And they said, don't expect the police to really do anything. They, they probably won't. School districts and the police department where we live, they were in each other's back pockets. They worked together all the time, protected each other. That's the way that it went. And that happens all over the United States. So in this meeting, that's, again, she had her turn to talk. And then the super or the uh, HR director looks at me and he goes, he goes, Sean, are you married? Do you have any kids? And I looked at him and I went, and I thought to myself, first of all, why is he asking me that? And I didn't really know why he was asking, but I I know now, and I I certainly found out shortly after. But he was asking me that question to see if I was expendable. Because if I was married or married to somebody in the district or if I had kids, then it would be a little more difficult to get rid of me so they would think. Um, I looked at him and I said, no. I said, but what does that have to have to do with anything? I said, I don't have to be married or have children to know how to communicate with parents or communicate with students. I've been doing this for seven years. Um, and, and that was, you know, it's kind of the end of it. What, what I ended up reading in the, in the meeting were the policies that I had to follow. I remember that. And I remember reading the curriculum and the standards that I had to follow that I was following. And I said, Kathy Corsoletti, the principal, is not scheduling these courses correctly, and that's why we're here. 
even though that's not why we were really there. We were there because she was building the case against me to get rid of me because I had been a whistleblower and I had uncovered what I had uncovered. Not to mention at this point, I probably had 200 pages worth of documentation against these people. I had names, dates, events, things that they had done. I mean, I had a thorough case, um, but I just, I didn't know where to take it and I didn't know what to do with it. So he looks at me, the HR director, and he says, um, he looked at me and he said, well, it sounds like we're going to have to have another discussion at the end of the summer break in August. And then, and then we'll, we'll meet again and we'll decide, you know, uh, how we're going to proceed in the future, and we'll just have another discussion in August. I later found out that not only was that a lie, but that's a common line that they use because what that meant was is that two weeks into the summer break, I got a phone call from him with the union rep in his office, and they told me that I was being removed from the middle school and that I was going to be placed in the high school teaching anatomy and physiology if I wanted the job. And here's what they said to me. They said, I was furious, as you might imagine, but they, they said to me, you can remain in the middle school, but you're, ha- you're going to have to be their gym teacher. And I said, I'm not a gym teacher. And I'll, I'll never be a gym teacher. Again, no offense to gym teachers, but you know, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And then they said, well, if, if you choose to do it, she's probably not going to leave you alone. They actually admitted this. They basically admitted that she was going to continue to harass me and bully me and the whole thing. And I, and I said, uh, and that's when I looked at them and I said, I, I mean, I just let them have it over the phone. I said, she's breaking the law. She's allowing for the, for the physical abuse of, of students to take place. She's not telling you. And she's allowing for the sexual grooming to take place at the hands of one of your union reps who works in the building against female students, and she's covering this up, and you're allowing this to happen. I said, now I'm going to kick this up a notch. And when I said that, the union rep grabbed the cell phone off of the desk of the HR director, and he walked out of the room because the HR director didn't want to hear anymore. He didn't, he didn't want to do his job. He didn't want to hear anything. So he ended up picking it up and leaving. And he, and he says to me over the phone, he goes, Sean, I just, I just left his office. He goes, uh, he goes, look, I know this is unfair and, and whatever else, but uh, if you want the job you know, at the high school, you can take it. You're certified to teach in it with your health education certification. You can do it and you know, whatever else. And I went, well, I'm not going back to the middle school, so yeah, I'll take the job. And so I did. Now, again, this is probably a, a, you know, a point where people would say, again, why didn't you go to the police? Why didn't, uh, you know, why didn't you do that? At that particular moment, I wasn't looking to become unemployed. And filling out police reports for the arrest of at least two or three teachers, along with at least the school principal, didn't seem like an option to me. And of course, in, in hindsight, and certainly in retrospect, um, that's exactly what I should have done. And if I could go back in time and do it that way, that's exactly what I would have done. And it would have been prosecutable, if that's a word. And, and certainly she would have been arrested. And the, the, the male teacher would have been arrested. And they may have even done time. 
Um, I've, I've heard of school principals in other states doing time for less. So I know it happens, um, but the, the, the protection apparatus for, for the school principal and for other people was in place, and they were turning all their guns on me because they knew, um, or they probably suspected that I had documentation. I certainly had the goods on them, and, and that's, that's what, was, what was going on there. So I also, of course, that very year, earlier in the year, about six months earlier, bought a house for the very first time. And I love this house, and it was gorgeous. And um, and I thought, I'm going to lose this if I if I do this or I do that. And I I don't think I'm in a position where I can afford to lose this right this second. Uh, and if memory served, there was a some kind of a, a policy where in Florida, if you bought a home, you had to live in it for at least a year before you could before you could sell it. And I had only been in it for six months, so I thought, well, shit, I don't really don't have a choice. So, uh, so that was, that was it. I mean, that summer I was miserable. Um, I was, I was excited to be leaving that, that poisonous environment, but I knew what building I was walking into in the high school because I, I had students from the high school come back to the middle school and they would talk to my middle school students. It was a rather cool day that would always occur toward the end of the year where, again, I would have past students of mine who are now high school students come back, talk to my middle school students about what goes on at the middle school, what to avoid, what to pay attention to, what to not pay attention to. It was like a peer mentoring kind of thing. It was, it was actually awesome. And uh, anyway, during those particular sessions, I remember hearing about the middle, uh, hearing about the high school and what was going on. And I remember hearing about the school principal and how unethical and un, unprofessional he was. The school principal of the high school, of Charlotte High School at the time, his name was Richard Schaefer. He was a big fat guy with a beard, um, and he was, he was dumber than a, than a bag of sand, this guy. Uh, not bright, thought he was, and those are usually the worst kinds of people. He was also friends with the superintendent, he had been brought in to replace another outgoing uh, high school principal that people were unsatisfied with because of academic performance, apparently. And he had come from Lee County, where he had been either charged with or found convicted of domestic violence, I believe against an ex-wife, while he was an alcoholic. And that was basically the, the past story that I heard about him. So here I am leaving a narcissistic uh, personality disorder female psychopath in a middle school, and I'm walking into this environment now in the high school with this guy in charge. And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Um, I thought to myself, well, it's a bigger school. Maybe I can blend in and disappear. Maybe people will leave me alone. That's not what happened. As you might expect, administrators talk. And they all talked about me, and they were all lying about me, of course, and saying that I'm a menace and you need to watch out because he's, you know, he's going to try to get you and catch you and blah, blah, blah. That was not the case. Just don't break the law around me and we won't have a problem. It seems pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, the workplace bullying in the high school started immediately. 
on the very first day of school, again, it was Florida in August. So it's a, you know, it's 95, 98 degrees outside. Um, I would wear shorts, nice tennis shoes, and then, you know, like a tucked in collared shirt, like golf attire, basically. And that was basically what I wore. Um, the school principal walked into my room on the first day of school, the last period of the day, to observe me. This was a bullying tactic. This was done on purpose. He was doing this to intimidate me. He sat in the back of the room with his arms crossed, and he, and he watched me. And then he left, and he ended up walking up to the science department chair, or department head, and he ended up saying, tell Sean that he needs to stop wearing shorts. That he's not allowed to wear shorts, he needs to wear slacks. And that's how he needs to dress every single day. And so he comes up to me later in the day, the next day, and he tells me that. And I, and I thought to myself, there are people in this building who wear shorts. What's the problem? And he said, well, I, I don't know. I said, he, he goes, no one likes this principal, really. We're not fans of him. But, uh, you know, he just wanted me to tell you. He goes, I told you. I don't care what you do. But there you go. So I didn't stop wearing shorts, but I did go out and I bought, I bought some, you know, nice slacks and I spent money I didn't have on, on more clothes and things of that nature. And, uh, and ultimately it was in a faculty meeting actually before the first day of school where I was watching everybody just kind of be lied to about a profession about what was going on in a professional development meeting. And I remember thinking to myself again, like, this environment is the worst. These people are, are dumb as shit. I feel like I'm the smartest person in the room. Not to be arrogant, but it was it was accurate. And I had outgrown the environment. I was smarter than the people running it. And I thought to myself, I, I, can't, I can't be here anymore. And so I went out to lunch with a couple of guys that I had golfed with previously that I knew. And I knew very well, actually. And they were, they were employees at the high school. And I was sitting over my, my lunch with them. And then uh, that's when depression set in immediately. It was, like flip, it was like flipping a switch or snapping your fingers. It was that fast. I immediately lost my appetite. I couldn't look anybody in the eye. And I knew that my that that I knew that depression had set in because I had taught clinical depression. I knew what it was. I knew what the signs and symptoms were. I knew what the feeling was was characterized as in words, but I had never actually had it before at all. So that sucked. Uh and that was a nightmare in itself. Waking up you know, with anxiety attacks, uh, cold sweats, my sheets just soaking, my mattress was soaking wet on a, on a night in, night out basis. Sunday nights were the worst. And again, all of this, I might add, is very characteristic of individuals, again, who are whistleblowers and who are being bullied in the workplace. This is, this is what happens. Um, I ended up of course, I'm going to get back to the school stuff, but there was a book that I, I came across when I was in graduate school, and I should have read it when I was in undergrad. But of course, it didn't exist back then, but it was still a book that that should have been 
recommended or the subject should have been recommended. But anyway, the book is titled The Bully at Work by a Dr. Namey is his name. And he and his wife were in charge of the, uh, the National Bullying Institute, which I think is based out of Orlando, Florida, or Kissimmee, Florida, somewhere around there. And um, anyway, in that book, he, he, just, he goes through everything. He goes through all the behaviors of, of people in the workplace, bosses, males, females, breaks down the statistics, the whole thing. It, it's an exquisite read, and I highly recommend it for anybody who's still working in these environments or you've, you've uh, you know, taken your, your lashings within, within these environments before. But anyway, um, that, all, that all happened. And if you've ever had depression before, it's, it's a living nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Food, you, you can't taste your food. Um, you can't read anything. I tried to read my way out of it. I mean, think about how asinine that sounds. I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't even, I couldn't even read a sentence. And that's a difficult thing to do when you're a school teacher is to not, <laughs> to, to, you know, you, you try to read your, your, your way out of something and, and you can't in order to feel better about something and it, and it just doesn't work. Um, I just remember, again, I remember all of it like it was yesterday, but there were a couple of, of really odd things that, that played a role in it also. As you would expect, going from a middle school to a high school environment, your entire clock shifts. The whole timetable of everything shifts. When I was a middle school teacher, I would wake up at about six o'clock in the morning. I'd shower, I'd shave, I'd eat breakfast, uh, and then I'd be out the door and I'd be at school around seven o'clock. And then school would start around eight or nine when, whenever it occurred. At the high school, we had to be there at six in the morning. And when I had depression, I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't shave and I couldn't shower in a timely fashion. Everything was on slow motion. Uh, and, and it felt like that physically, but I knew I was moving at a much slower pace. So I found myself waking up at 4.30 in the morning every day and sometimes four in the morning and sometimes three and sometimes two. And it would take that long for me to get, to get ready. You can imagine, again, the nightmare here. Um, but I would always, again, like normal, I would always eat breakfast. But when I would get in the car, it was, it was impossible for me to put my foot on the gas to even pull out of my garage and pull down the driveway and then put it in drive and whatever. I was always on slow motion. So much so that when I got out of my neighborhood, which was, <clears throat> it was on the, it was on the water. I was fortunate enough to always have nice places to live, but I lived on the water out in the country. Uh, south of south of town, and I lived in this in this suburb um, with with again really no neighbors around for the most part. It was just it was gorgeous. My backyard was a an absolute zoo of wild animals. It was amazing. But I remember getting out of the neighborhood and then getting on the road, the main road that took me into town, and I had to I had to physically press on my right leg with my hands in order to get the pedal to go further down so that I could put it in cruise control so that I could just ride on cruise control on my way to the to the high school every morning i felt like that for probably i'd say 7 months the first 7 months of being a high school teacher 
um, it sucked without a doubt. I stopped golfing. I stopped, uh, I stopped hanging out with people I used to hang out with who again were much older than me. They were older adults and, and friends of mine that I worked with. And I just stopped doing everything that I, that I used to do. I stopped watching TV, which was the best thing I could have done. I stopped watching sports, which was also the best thing I could have done. I haven't gone back to that, which has been nice. And that's when my, I'll openly state, it was right then and there where my awakening process occurred. That's when I started to wake up. So when people hear the term depression, I think of it, based on my experience, I think of it as a break, it was a breakthrough. I was experiencing what's been referred to as deep rest, which is you've been going so hard for so long in a particular avenue that this is your body and your brain's way of saying you need to stop, that you need to stop doing what you're doing and uh, you can't control everything and it's a dangerous environment and you know that so you have to make, you have to make better choices and the best thing to do is just to quit. And again, probably in retrospect, I, sh- I should have, but I remember getting on my knees one morning in my bedroom and just saying, I can't, I can't effing do this anymore. I got to find something else to do. I don't know what that is. You know, if I, if I tell my parents this, they're not going to believe me. I thought I said, uh, you know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta do something else, but my parents were always supportive and they were always there and they knew exactly what was going on with me. And they came down and they visited separately and then together and we talked and, uh, you know, a, a lot of things got hammered out and, and we, we figured things out. But I stayed in the building for that entire first year. And then at the end of the first year, they took my classroom away from me on the last day of school, which was intentional. And it was another bullying tactic in order to get rid of me. So I had been a school teacher for eight years, and now they were taking this classroom away from me that was loaded with computers, ironically enough, and I had utilized those computers in my curriculum the entire time, and I couldn't understand why they were taking the classroom away from me other than the fact, again, I knew that they were bullying me, of course, at this point. I knew that they were harassing me. I knew they wanted me to quit, and they wanted me gone. I didn't quite know why. Beyond the whistleblowing stuff and the and the the illegality that I had discovered, but um, all of that happened, and I remember the entire summer emailing and complaining to the administrators of the building about why they were taking my building or my my classroom away, and they were making me what's called a rover, which means you bounce around to other teachers' classrooms and you teach your subject in all of their classrooms all day long every day. It was a nightmare. My students loved me, though, because I told them what was going on. I openly said to them, here's what's happening in this environment, and you need to know this because this is an unsafe environment. And uh, again, that's really where a lot of the shackles were kind of coming off of me. And I was just saying, I have nothing to lose now, so I'm just going to tell everybody everything all the time, and that's going to be that. Um, later in that year, the next year, very early in the semester, which again, this, this only lasted until October, and then I was gone. Uh, a number of, again, multiple bullying things occurred that w- where they were just continuing to just make my life what they thought was a living hell. 
but I would always just look at them with a smile on my face and say, you know, you can't, you can't kill me. I'm not going to kill myself and, and I'm, you know, you can't physically kill me. So good luck. But, uh, you know, that pissed them off because they wanted me dead. They really did. They wanted me dead and they wanted me gone and I wasn't going to give it to them. I was going to make them force me out basically. And so I had a female student, I assume it was a female student, sexually harass me over email. There's a policy and procedure for that also. I immediately followed it. I immediately handed it to the administrators. The district investi- Another district investigator got involved, and they didn't do anything. They said, well, don't worry. We, we know you're innocent. You didn't do anything. This kind of stuff just goes away. And even the school principal laughed about it and thought it was funny. I said, this isn't funny. I'm being harassed. I don't know who this person is. And and they want a sexual relationship with me. And this is disgusting. They were anonymous. Again, I had no idea who it was. Um, and I said, you need to find this person and expel them. You need to find out whose email address this is. And you need to expel them and get them out of my class if, in fact, they are in my class. Now, to this day, I still think it could have been a student. I also think it could have been a staff member pretending to be a student in an effort to bait me, thinking that I would actually do something like that, which, of course, I wouldn't because I'm not a sexual predator. Again, I I never even dated staff members. I had numerous staff members interested in me. I had single moms interested in me. I, I always turned them all down. I always turned them down. You don't dip your pen in the company ink. I never did any of that stuff, and I certainly didn't do anything with students. Again, I was the guy who was calling out people for trying to do that with students. (laughs) So that's the way that that went down. But they didn't do anything. And then um, there were a couple of things that ended up occurring where one particular day, well, this again would have been the two straws that ultimately broke broke the camel's back that, that semester before October of 2020, I'm sorry, of 2013. On one particular day in one classroom, um, I decided to set up a Zoom call with my dad's teacher education class at Miami. So it was my high school students in an anatomy and physiology class talking with undergraduates who were studying to be science teachers and, and math teachers. And they were communicating back and forth over, over Skype about what makes an effective teacher. And what is it that you high school students like in teachers and you know what don't you like and all of this other stuff? It was awesome. It was something that the district had never done. It was something that even I told the district about during the accreditation process because they were asking us, like, what kind of cool things are we doing in the classroom to help basically get our school accredited again? And I said, well, here's something I'm doing. And I brought it up and they were like, whoa, that's awesome. That's great. And they even wrote it down and used it in their accreditation process. I later found out that they didn't like that. Again, somebody, another administrator found out that I was doing that. It wasn't their business, but they found out that I did that one particular day, one particular period, and they they hated it. Um, They said, you can't do that. You teach anatomy and physiology. And I said, well, of course I do. I said, but we're educators and I'm educating. So what's the problem? Um, so that happened and they, they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that I wasn't using the Eagle Buck system, which still existed at the high school. Keep, keep that in mind. That thing was still around. I was never doing that. And then uh, 
I, I actually remained in the building long enough to watch the school principal lose his job as the school principal. And again, you have to keep in mind, all of this happened between August and October of, of 2013. This is, a lot of, this is a lot of shit that went down. The school principal lost his job because he was threatened by boosters to the high school and outsiders to the high school for the district to get rid of him because nobody liked him. No one wanted to donate money to the school as long as he was there because of the constant complaints that had occurred with him. One of, one of which, there were at least three that come to mind, one of which was him grabbing a female student by the breasts and pulling her shirt down in the middle of the cafeteria because uh, her shirt was too high, so he thought. So he would walk around with a ruler and measure how high the shirts were and how much skin was showing, and then he would do the same thing with female skirts. And he would walk around with a ruler, and he would measure how high the skirts were and whether or not he thought that they were inappropriate or not, and then he would make a scene and then embarrass these students and so on and so on. He had a reputation for not only doing that with students, he had a reputation for doing it with me. He did this uh, during one of the first professional development days that we had the year before when I first showed up to the high school. I forgot about this part. They were, all of the teachers were in the cafeteria and he had a microphone and everybody who works in the building was there. Resource officer, administrators, the whole thing. And he's introducing new staff members to the building. And he purposefully leaves me out of it and he doesn't introduce me. He introduces everybody else, but not me. It was a handful of teachers and then me. His head secretary walks over to him and says, you haven't introduced Sean. And he goes, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, whatever. And, he, and he's still got the microphone in his hands. Everybody can hear him. And he stands up again, and he, and he walks again toward the center, and he, uh, and he has the microphones in his hand, and he, and he sa- or the one microphone, and he says, he says, well, oh, there's also Sean Brooks. He goes, he's new to the building. Uh, he's been teaching over at the middle school. Now he's over here. He goes, I've heard about Sean. I've heard about him. And I thought to myself, how in the hell have you heard about me? Because I thought to myself, I've heard about you, but I've never seen you until now. But how have you heard about me exactly? And he says to the whole room, he says, you know, when I first met Sean, I, I was expecting to meet somebody who was taller and somebody who had more hair. And he openly says this in front of everybody. Now I'm 5'8", 155 pounds, and I have a shaved head. I'm 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 in good shape, always have been. Uh, that and he, you know, he he was whatever he was. He was six two, three hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, he was a fat piece of shit. Uh, but but he introduces me to the whole faculty like that. And I remember sitting down then. As soon as he said that, I immediately sat down. And he looks at me and he goes, "No, go ahead and stand up, Sean. Keep standing up. Keep standing up." And then he just kind of went through this very basic thing, and he goes, "Well, we hope he's going to be successful here, and you know, blah blah. blah. And he's going to be teaching this and whatever else." And uh, and that was it. And I sat back down, and I remember looking at the guy who who I had golfed with before, who I knew, and I looked at him, and, and I went, "Is this who?" And I looked at him, and I said, "Is this who he is?" 
is this the kind of person he is? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, man. He goes, and I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry that that just happened. I said, so am I. And I said this to the entire table. They were all listening to me. And, and I was sitting right in the middle of one of those cafeteria tables. And they all looked at me and I just said, I don't think my, my time here is going to be very long. And, and that was, again, that was before, you know, that was right before the depression set in. And then, uh, okay, so anyway, back to uh, my last semester. So during that time, he not only did that with the female students and the rulers, but then he was caught allegedly um, receiving a blowjob from his secretary. That was the rumor. This wasn't the original secretary to the building who was there the year before. This was a new secretary. And his excuse was, is that he was helping her with her printer, that he was helping her on the floor with, uh, with the cords, and, uh, and, and that's, that's why somebody misinterpreted what was going on. Ironically enough, we were told all of this and about all of this in a faculty meeting by the assistant superintendent who was a female. One of the many assistant superintendents who was a female, though, and uh, keeping in mind, again, that the principal was friends with the superintendent, who was also a male, but that that was easily dismissed then. But the odd part was is that the female secretary who allegedly was doing this to him was immediately removed and she was gone and never returned to the building. So. It led, it led some truth to the story that something was going on that shouldn't have been going on and that he was involved and she was involved and, and that was that. The female superintendent then said that there was another complaint that was filed because Richard Schaefer, again was his name, that he had uh, used a female bathroom with females in the bathroom. That he didn't know he had walked into a female bathroom. It was all stalls, no urinals, but he didn't know he was in a female bathroom. He opened up a stall, sat down, or stood up, urinated, and there were at least two other females in the uh, neighboring stalls at the exact same time. And they chalked it up to ho-hum, you know, just your typical mistake. This is just what happens, you know, it's, it's, it's an innocent mistake. I wasn't paying attention, I was busy, and... I had to pee and blah, blah, blah. And that was, that was it. This was told to the whole faculty like it was okay. Like it's just, you know, we're just sweeping it under the rug, water under the bridge, no big deal. You know, he apologizes, but there's no wrongdoing here. We've investigated and there's no wrongdoing. That's not what was happening. What was happening was is they were covering for him, clearly. And then more and more people started to complain after that faculty meeting, and then he was gone. Again, boosters threatened to pull money. Funding was was threatened, uh, and then that was it. He was gone. Now, here's where even more of the scheming took place, which led to my removal. With him gone, they wanted Kathy Corsoletti, the principal of the middle school, to be the principal of the high school. They wanted me gone then in order for that move to take place because Kathy Corsoletti wasn't going to be the school principal of the high school with me still there. 
I was the linchpin in the whole thing now. So with me gone and and me out of the way, they could move Kathy Corsoletti over there, make her the uh the the principal and then one of the assistant principals would become the principal of the of the middle school who was already over there. This was the scheming that was taking place behind the scenes that I was suspecting at this point. Um so then this was the final straw that broke the camel's back. I was I was being evaluated by a female, a new female administrator in the high school who was who was related to one of the higher-ups in the school district. This was a single mother, dumber than a bag of shit, and she uh, she she was never going to lose her job no matter what. She could have had sex with 12 kids and killed one of them, and she still would have kept her job. So one particular day, I was in my office. I had an office that was on the other side of a classroom. So you had to walk from the hallway into the classroom and then into my office. Um, and this particular class that was in there at the time, not my class, uh, again, it was my off period, but it was being run by a substitute teacher. I walked out of my office and I immediately smelled something in the classrooms. It smelled like somebody was smoking something. It wasn't marijuana, but it was, I always thought, like one of those clove cigarettes or a vape or something along those lines. I started, I smelled it immediately. I started to walk toward the door to leave out into the hallway and a student follows me. And he was one of my students from a, from a previous class. And he says, Mr. Brooks, he goes, I got to tell you, man, he goes, can you smell that? And I went, yes, I can. Who, who is smoking and what is it? Because we have asthmatics uh, in, in school. And if they smell these kinds of things, they can have an asthma attack, as you might expect, and it can kill a kid. So. He looks at me and he goes, I don't know who's doing it. He goes, I think it's this kid over here. He said, and I think it's a vape. I think he's smoking a vape. And the kid who was doing it was the building's most notorious gangster, so to speak. He was a wannabe gangster. He was about six feet tall. His name was DeAndre Blanding, not white. And, uh, and he was special ed to the bone, a delinquent. A sexual predator, a drug user, a drug dealer. He was everything you could possibly imagine. If he's not in prison or dead, he should be. Uh, hopefully the latter, because he was a menace to society. So I went down to the administrator's office, and this was the female administrator who was favored, again, because they were related to people in the district. And I told her what was going on, and she was eating her lunch and being a, a piece of trash. And I said, uh, you need to get down there with the dean and a resource officer right now. And you need to pull him out now. And she goes, okay, we'll be on our way. I walked back into the room. I walked back upstairs. This was on the other side of campus. I walked back into the building, up, up the flight of stairs, back into the room. And I sat in the room uh, with the smell of everything. and. I, I was purposefully looking right at the door the whole time to see if they would come in. The dean and the assistant administrator, they walked up to the door, and then they walked away. And that was it. They never entered the bill, They never entered the room. They never pulled the student out. I even gave them the student's name. I told them who it was, where they were sitting. I said, you come in and you get rid of them. And they didn't do it. 
And then they left and they were gone. And I thought, I have to take matters in my own hands here. So I stood up and I started to leave. And before I left, I turned around and I looked at the room and I said, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, you'd better hide whatever it is that you're smoking in your ass because it's going to get found one way or another. And everybody in the room looked at me except for him. And that's when I knew again, it was a hundred percent him. His back was to me. He was rolling in his chair. Everybody looked at me except him. And I was like, I got him. I went back down. I told him what was going on. And I said, you need to get up here again. And you didn't come into the room the last time. Now you need to come up here now because I know it's him and you need to do your job. And I was getting louder and louder with her. And she finally followed me up the stairs and I started pulling students out one at a time. And I pulled a couple out and I said, tell, tell her who, who it is that's, that's smoking this. And these guys were so afraid to say who it was that they were afraid they were going to get beat up and they, you know, they didn't want to rat him out and all this other, all this other shit. And I, and I looked at him and I said, guys, you're going to be an in-school suspension if you don't tell me who this is. And, uh, and, and uh, again, the, the female administrator said that she would take them down to the office and search their stuff. I said, I don't think it's these guys. I said, it's this guy. And so she opens up the door and she calls his name. He stands up, he comes out and he starts to threaten me and threaten to fight me in front of her because I'm accusing him of smoking something and he's denying it. Now he had it on him. And they found it on him later on. But she let him back into the room. She let him go back into the room. She took students with her who weren't smoking anything and then contacted their parents and whatever else. And they weren't even guilty. But they let the, she let the guilty party back into the room. And all of that transpired in that short amount of time. We're talking like less than 30 minutes. At the end of the day, then he he leaves. He ends up leaving. At the end of the day, I walked up to the union rep for the building, who was this little this little spitfire of a woman, and uh, and I said, "Here's what just happened." The female administrator, her name was Catherine Pyle. She was oh, she was a Pyle, all right, but her name was Catherine Pyle, Katie Pyle, and uh, and she was the one who again had not done her job and was putting people in harm's way. And this was my interpretation of everything that had occurred. I told the union rep this, and she said, good luck disciplining her because she's related to so-and-so at the district office, and that's probably not going to happen. So I ended up going home. Sorry, had to clear my throat. I ended up going home that day, not wanting to return. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the very next day, they ended up pulling me into an office on the first floor next to the principal's office, who at this point was an interim principal, who was one of the former assistant principals of the building who I knew, and she was a terrible person also. But it was her, and her name was Delyn Bennett. And Delyn Bennett is now retired. She was ancient again back then, too. She was a grandmother even back then, and she should have retired as well. But either way, uh, she pulled me into her office, as did Katie Pyle. 
and they started to ask me about a website that I had where I was engaging in teacher education. I had a teacher education website, basically. So I was providing tips on how to be effective teachers. That's what it was. It was a very professional website. And on the website were videos that I had produced over at the middle school and even a couple of videos I had produced in the high school with students talking about how to be successful in the school environment, what to pay attention to, what not to pay attention to, um, you know, what to do with your schoolwork, what questions to ask your teachers. It was always that kind of discussion. Again, don't get distracted with this, pay attention to this, this matters, this doesn't, things like that. It, it was all designed, as you would expect, to be health education related and to create a, a, far, a far safer environment than the one that existed and to protect students. Uh, this, of course, had district supervision and permission to do when I was at the middle school, but they were upset that I had done it at the high school without receiving the same permission. And I thought to myself, well, I don't need the same permission to do the same thing I've already done. Why would I need extra permission? They started to yell at me and they said, you've got to take those videos off of your website. And I said, why? And they said, uh, because you haven't identified all of the students in the videos as whether or not they can be on camera or not. And I said, you as administrators take videos of students all of the time around the building and even at sporting events, and you don't do that either. And you put those on your YouTube channel and you put those on the internet. So are you going to do that too? Delete all your videos also? What about all the the students that are in TV production class and all the students you film in the hallway and during the pep rallies and gymnasium and XYZ. What about them? And then they panicked and they said, that's not about that. You need to take your videos down. And that's when I thought, okay, we're, we're definitely done here. These people are, uh, they're after me. They're not going to stop. And so I said, yeah, fine, I'll take them down. I don't, I don't give a shit. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me one way or another. No, no rule was broken. No laws were broken. But uh, good luck and do whatever you want to do. And Delyn Bennett looked at me and she said, I have to move this to HR. I said, go for it. I already know him. I don't like him. Go, go ahead and go for it. And I left. And that was the end of that day. The next morning, I walked into my room at 6 in the morning. And shortly after I walked in, uh, Katie Pyle and one of the male assistant administrators walked into my room and said, you have to come with us. I said, why? I'm in the middle of something. And they said, uh, you need to just come with us now and, and bring your bag and, and bring your keys and just come with us. We just need to have a meeting. They bring me into a room with the district, uh, the, the district investigator from the HR department. In fact, I looked at them on the way out of my room and I said, do I need union representation? And they said, no, you don't need it. And I said, I'm going to go get union representation. So I walked into her room, the union rep for the building, and I said, you need to come with me right now. I said, they're going to try to fire me and you need to come with me right now. And she said, okay. And she came with me and down we went and we went into this room and there he was. Uh, his name was Dave Carter, if memory serves. Arguably one of the biggest pieces of shit I've ever met in my life. You're guilty until proven innocent. And I've, of course, since learned that 
HR departments and their investigators and their directors are not there to protect the employee. They are there to protect the employer. That's their entire mode of operation. That's it. So he slides a piece of paper in front of me and he says, you have to sign this. And it was a non-disclosure agreement. And he says, you're under investigation. You're on paid administrative leave uh, for at least the next two weeks. He said, we're investigating some of the things that you've been doing in the classroom. Again, describing exactly what I had done earlier and what I had said earlier um, that the district had no problem with, but now all of a sudden had a problem with. And, uh, and he said, I need your keys and your badge. And I looked at the union rep and I said, I'm getting fired. And, and they went, no, you're not getting fired. You're just, we're, we're just under investigation. I said, well, I've done nothing wrong. So why are you investigating me? And then they said, well, look, you just need to sign this and then you need to hang by your phone and give us a phone number that we can reach and, you know, and then we'll be in contact for future meetings and X, Y, Z. And I signed it and I did not adhere to it, but I did sign it. Uh, and I pushed it back to him. I threw him, I threw him my keys and I threw him my, uh, my badge. And, the un- and we got up and we left and the union rep left with me and they walked, she walked me out of the building. And, uh, and I looked at her on the, on the way out and I said, I'm getting fired, aren't I? And she said, no, nah. she goes, you'll be back. She says, there's a teacher that works in the building who is cheating on the FCAT exam for a student of his and taking the state standardized test for him and, uh, and was caught. And he got a slap on the wrist. She looked at me and she goes, you'll be back. Don't worry about it. You don't have a discipline record. You're good. And I said, I'm getting fired. And she goes, well, you know, I, I don't think so, but whatever. She goes, but another, the, the major union rep for the district will, will now take, take this case and they'll find out today and then they'll, they'll contact you and tell you what to do. You have to keep in mind another thing too, is this was a different union representative at the district now. It wasn't the guy who was with me the first time I met HR in the middle school. That guy ended up getting all of my documentation because I sent it to him and he ended up having an anxiety attack and he thought he was having a heart attack. 911 was called after reading my documentation. I'm not making this up. And he ended up going to the hospital. And then he ended up uh, quitting that particular position and taking another cush job in the district someplace. So he couldn't handle it, basically. And uh, he couldn't handle the corruption that I had exposed and what I had told him was going on. And so this other woman decided to uh, take, take the position. She was an older lady and uh, middle-aged, give or take. And she was, she'd graduated from Ohio State University and was formerly in HR. And she knew the ins and the outs and whatever, but um, she wasn't a lawyer. And she was ultimately working in the best interest of the district, not in my interest. So there was another meeting that ended up taking place. And this was actually a cool part. I should, I should mention this part of the story. I lived, like I said, on the water, and there was a, a natural canal behind my, my house in my backyard where I could take a kayak, and I could kayak out into Charlotte Harbor. I did it every weekend for at least a year, year and a half. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. And you talk about escaping reality and uh, surrounding yourself with, with God and nature and 
all of it. It was remarkably therapeutic. But when I moved into the home, I remember saying out loud to even family, I said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pet a manatee. I'm going to see a manatee. I've seen them my whole life, but I, I was going to pet a manatee. That thought was in my head, as crystal clear as anything else. I said, I'm going to pet a manatee while I'm living here. All the times that I went out kayaking every single weekend, I never, I never, I never saw a manatee, nor did I pet one. And then my first day of being on paid administrative leave, I took my kayak out. I left my cell phone at home. So I wasn't hanging around my cell phone waiting for the investigator's call. But I took my kayak out. And sure enough, I got out to where I normally would go. And uh, I had my video recorder with me because I would record stuff out there. It was cool. Just amazing wildlife. And, uh, you know, stuff you'd only see in a zoo. And it was my backyard, which was awesome. Um, but sure enough, a manatee was swimming toward my kayak and came right up to me and stayed there and it didn't leave. And I pet it and, uh, I got the whole thing on film and I might link it in the description below if you want to see, but, uh, if I can find the video anyway, I think it's in an external hard drive someplace, but that happened. And I remember calling my parents at the time, uh, later in the day. And I said, you're not going to believe what happened. And they said, Sean, it's a good omen. And it means that you're supposed to leave. It means that you're, you're safe and, uh, and your time, your time to leave is now. And this was also ironic because the very week that I was under administrative paid administrative leave, I was also, uh, being nominated and had been formally nominated for teacher of the year. So that happened. <laughs> so you can imagine, as I've said before, in previous episodes, being nominated for teacher of the year is the kiss of death. Uh, you know, that, that was already in motion long before I was under investigation for something I had not done that wasn't breaking any rule. They just wanted me gone in summary, because they knew what I had on them. And uh, one meeting took place. Well, I should say this. I got back to my cell phone. I picked it up, and there was a, a very intimidating message on there from the HR, uh, the HR investigator, and he was yelling at me about why I didn't pick up my phone and that he has more papers that I need to sign and that I need to meet him at 6.30 in the evening in this abandoned parking lot and sign these papers. I was also, of course, not going to do that, and I didn't do that, but I was also set to present at the nation's largest middle school conference uh, the very next week, which was hilarious because I thought, Okay, I have to fly to Minneapolis, Minnesota and give a presentation on violence in school and all of this is happening to me. The district found out about all of this, of course, and they didn't want me to give that presentation. And they didn't want me to mention their name and their school and they didn't want me to do any of that. I mean, they were trying to control every aspect of my life. And like I said, 
in these situations, they want you to kill yourself. That's really what they want. They want you to be so mentally beat down that you take your own life because a dead teacher is a quiet teacher and a quiet teacher is what they want. Well, they weren't going to get what they wanted. Um, you know, years before when that depression set in at the time, I, I could see why people would want to kill themselves. I mean, I, I fully understood it. It was never an option for me. That wasn't something I was going to do, but I could see why people had had reached that decision. So, um, either way, he wanted me to he he wanted me to sign those papers. I wouldn't do it. And then, one meeting took place where this was basically the the wrap up meeting, which was the questioning meeting, the interrogation, we'll call it. I walked into his office in the district office with the union rep, and she looks at me and she says, "If I kick you under the table, stop talking." And I thought to myself, "Fuck you! I'll say whatever I want, and uh, you can kick me all you'd like." Um, so he starts in and he asks me, "I'm not kidding." Two hundred questions. It was two hundred questions he asks me, and he has a stack of questions. Now we're talking a stack of questions, probably on on paper again. That was three think three fingers thick, and he he every single time he'd run through the questions. And he's recording me the whole time. He would take the piece of paper and he would flip it over on its front side next to the stack. So as he's asking me these questions and recording me here, which it lasted well over like, I don't know, it was at least an hour and a half, if not two hours long, um, longer than, longer than, well, not as long as this podcast episode, but it was long. I was just watching that stack of questions get smaller and smaller and smaller. He was accusing me of all kinds of things. I mean, they were reaching for for something to to get me on. Um, he also broke his own policy when he was interviewing apparently students in my classes to get their perceptions of me. Now, as it turns out, they all loved me, and they all said this, which pissed him off. Except for one or two students who were like, "He's an asshole," and I was like, "Okay." And, the, and of course, as you would expect, as a district investigator looking to fire somebody, he focused in on them. And he claims that one of the students didn't want me to record during one of these peer review, uh, you know, one of these peer sessions where we were talking about safety in the building. And I said, he doesn't, he, I, I said, I remember the kid. I said, he didn't have to be on camera and he didn't have to participate. Nobody had to participate. I said, but they all participated except for him. And and that was kind of it. And the kid was retarded. I mean, you know, it's it, it was a fact. The the kid was on the spectrum. He was handicapped. Uh, he wasn't all there. Um. Anyway, you know, he probably thought Santa Claus was real as as a ninth grader. But either way, um, that was kind of the end of that. And then he looked at me and he goes, "Okay, well, uh, that's the end of this. I, I think we have enough here, and uh, and and that's going to be that. And then um, we're gonna we're gonna make a decision in the future." And I went, "All right." And I stood up and I uh, and I left. And she followed me out. She kicked me under the table a couple of times to basically stop talking. And uh, and we 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 walked over to an adjacent room and. She looked, she said, and I sat down and, and she said, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. She said, they're going to move to terminate you. She said, if you want, there can be a meeting between the assistant superintendent, me and the investigator and you all in the same room. 
and you can say whatever you'd like, but they're still going to terminate you. And, uh, and that's what, that's what's happening. And I looked at her and that's when, again, I lost total trust in her. Um, and I said, you've done nothing for me. I said, you're not a lawyer. You're not representing me. You're representing them. I said, they can do whatever they want. I don't, I don't give a shit. I said, tell me, uh, what resignation to fill out and who to send it to and, and you'll have it. And then that was the end of it. Again, during that time, my, my parents were visiting. Uh, either one at a time or, or, or together at the same time. I'm not sure which. They're not divorced. They're married. But um, that's, again, when you know we'd go out and get a pitcher of beer, and, and we'd, we'd talk about what had happened and what was going on and where I was going. And they, they completely knew that I wanted a PhD, and they knew that I wanted to teach college, and they knew that I wanted to enter graduate school, and I wanted to keep learning. And they supported it 100%. And I was in a position where I could sell my house for quite a profit, and I did, and uh, that's that's what occurred. Um, in the middle of all of that process, though, during the investigation part of me, they even came after one of my friends who was a colleague of mine at the uh, at the middle school, and they in, they interrogated him too, and they said, "So you were the one who produced these videos back in the middle school, these instructional videos that Sean was doing." And he goes, yeah, they were instructional videos and they were awesome. Parents loved it and, and wanted their students to participate and wanted their kids to participate. The students loved it. It had district approval. What's the problem? And they basically tried to intimidate him to, again, remind him of his place in, in, in the school district and, and squeeze him as much as they could. And then, again, try to get him to say something negative about me, which he didn't do. And that was nice of him because there was nothing negative to say. He, he, he later came over to my house when my mom was there one evening after the interrogation occurred with him. And, uh, and he said, he walks in and, and we cracked open a couple of beers and he, and he looks at me and he goes, so he goes, I met Dave Carter today. He said, and he asked me if I had any recordings of the videos that we shot at the middle school still. And I, and I said, no, I, I, I didn't. And he reaches into his backpack and he dumps his backpack and it's all just DVDs of these instructional videos that we did through his TV production class that, again, aired throughout the entire building. And I just started laughing and I was like, that's hilarious. You still have these. And he goes, oh, yeah, man. He goes, they're great. He goes, but he wanted to see them because he wanted to keep finding shit on you thinking that you had done something wrong. And I went, well, fuck him. And then I took a trash can and I just swiped them all off my kitchen counter into a trash can. And I said, you know, to hell with him. So I felt terrible that, that my friend at the time had had to experience that, but he was re experiencing it as a result of retaliation because retaliation happens. That's, that's the play in the playbook. That's exactly what occurs. So you would think it would all end there, ladies and gentlemen, but it didn't. I sold everything I had, I sold my house, and I moved back to Ohio. Drove the U-Haul all the way back uh, to Southwest Ohio. Sold all my stuff in Ohio as well. And entered graduate school. And was taking classes online for my PhD in education. 
to be eventually, hopefully, a teacher education professor. That didn't work out, which thank God it didn't, for obvious reasons. And uh, and one day I walked out to the mailbox, having already written my first book and working on my second book about the experience that uh, that I had down there, which was available on Amazon and Kindle at the time. Again, it's titled Where the Finger Points. It's been shadow banned on uh, on Amazon. You have to type in the actual title of the book itself in my name, I think, in order to find it, but it's there. And I walk out to the mailbox and I open it up and there's a letter in there from the State Department of Education in Florida. And then the very shortly after there was one from Ohio. The one in Florida basically put sanctions on my Florida certificate by saying that if I wanted, because the investigation had to move then to the state level. So they falsified an investigation about me, the one that this Dave Carter guy put together. I went through, the entire investigation was sent to me. My dad and I went through it line by line, and there were at least 150 lies that existed in this investigation. I lawyered up. Um, in order to salvage my certificate. In retrospect, I shouldn't have. That was a mistake and a waste of money. But uh, they basically told me at the state of Florida that I could continue to teach there as long as I maintained my license. And the only way that I could do that was if I was on a probationary period for three or five years where I paid $250 a year the administrator that I worked for would have to sign off on a piece of paper admitting that they knew about the situation, that they had the investigation of me, and that they still wanted me to work there. And I had to take an ethics course and get at least like a B plus in this ethics course. And I refused to do all of that. I just wasn't going to do it, and I didn't do it. So I let my certification in, Ohio, in, in Florida expire. That's when, again, after all of that occurred, that's when I went to uh, the mailbox and there was another letter from the Ohio Department of Education, and I was being investigated for conduct unbecoming an educator. So you're seeing this as I'm talking now, and it's been going on since the beginning of time regarding people who hold licensure or certification, and it happens in any field. The medical field, uh, the legal field, the education field—it um, it does not matter. Right down to a, you know, r- not down to, but over to an individual who cuts hair for a living. You know, those individuals have certifications and licenses also. And if somebody lies about you, then you can lose it. So I lawyered up yet again with the same education firm in Cincinnati. Nice guy. His name was John Kincannon, and Aaron Heinrich. Was, was her name, nice gal. Um, and we went through the process. And ultimately, I found myself in, in one of their legal offices one particular day, and we were having a conversation with one of the investigators at the State Department of Education for Ohio. I told him my whistleblowing story very briefly. And his first response back to me when I was done, because I looked, I said to him over the phone, it was on speakerphone, and I said, I'm done. That, that's, that's what happened. He said to me, why didn't you just leave? I'll never forget him saying that because I wanted to jump through the phone and strangle the life out of him. 
And I looked at him and I said, it's not quite that easy. I said, and it sounds like you're making excuses for their behavior toward me, which was highly illegal. So I'm not going to apologize for anything that I've done. And that's the way that that is. And I told him, I said, people are in jail for doing less than what these school teachers and administrators did to students. And I was the one protecting the students. I said, do you have a problem with that? And he didn't answer me. And the lawyers even looked at me and they were like, cool it, Sean. And, uh, and then that was, that was the end of it. And ultimately, that stretched itself out over the course of like at least another year and a half to two years. They wanted me to, again, take an ethics course, be on a probationary period, take a fine. And I told him, I said, I'm in graduate school for my PhD. I've already taken ethics courses and gotten A's in all of them. I said, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not paying any money. And the lawyer, again, would go back and forth with the guy. And we would communicate over email. And this, this got drug on for quite some time. I graduated, earned my PhD, uh, def- successfully defended the dissertation and the whole thing. And then at the end of all of that, as I was, I actually remember where I was when it happened. I was getting a plane ticket to go to Australia to give a presentation at a mental and emotional health conference uh, in, in the Gold Coast. And uh, I was in the parking lot of, the, of the, the booking agent for this flight. And that's when I got a phone call from my lawyer. And he said, they're moving to terminate your, your license no matter what. He said, Sean, there's really nothing that, that I can do anymore. He said, they've made their decision. I think it's unethical what they're doing, but they're paper pushers and they get to decide and I don't. And, and he said, you, you don't want to teach public school anymore, do you? And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, he said, they're just going to take it from you and revoke it completely. And I said, let them go. To, you know, they can go straight to hell. I, I don't give a shit, whatever. He goes, all right, man. He goes, I wish you the best of luck. You know, good luck. Congratulations on your PhD and being a book author and blah, blah, blah. And I went, thanks, man. Take care. And that was the end of it. That, that was it. So I'm not sure what else I can say other than the fact that uh, this happens on a day-in and day-out basis in every single school district across America, if not the world. And you need to know this. And you need to know that very good people kill themselves for experiencing far less than what I experienced. And I'm alive because of my parents, and I'm alive because of the grace of God. And he wouldn't have given it to me if he didn't know that I had balls of steel and that I couldn't handle it. He knew I could handle it, and I did. And this past summer of 2023, Kathy Corsoletti has just resigned. She has uh, retired, rather. Delyn Bennett, the interim principal and assistant principal of the high school was also has also uh, retired. One of the assistant principals of the middle school ended up with almost deadly breast cancer once I left the middle school and went to the high school. And once I left the high school, she almost died. She was a lunatic. Uh, you know, l- let me see here. Let me go back through the people. Ron Henry retired. The the sexual predator uh, math math sixth grade math teacher. The Jolly Rancher guy, he ended up retiring, full pension, no problem. 
never investigated for anything. The female teacher ended up resigning shortly after I left, and her husband was also under investigation for taking money from students at the high school. Before I showed up at the high school, he was apparently a high school teacher there, and he was under investigation and then resigned for, like I said, taking money from students for, uh, for better test scores. He claims that he jokingly told the students that if you pin a 5 or a $10 bill to, to your test, then I'll pass you. And students did it, and he kept the money. Uh, and there you go. Again, birds of a feather flock together, and apparently they sleep in the same bed too. So she was never investigated for physically, physically assaulting, uh, assaulting and battering a female student. And ultimately, everybody that I just brought up in this entire thing was never held to any account whatsoever. They just came after me and tried to ruin me, and yet I'm still here. And my only hope now is that they're injected with a biological weapon and that they were dumb enough to take it. And, uh, yeah, what goes around comes around, and we reap what we sow. So I've had the last laugh in this whole situation. I've written a book about them. They're, they're forever in a book, and now their names are forever on a podcast. And there's not a goddamn thing they can do about it. So there you go. Just to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that this right here is, is what happens. This goes on in this business all of the time. It goes on in every line of work. It's not an accident that one of my favorite movies is Serpico. I love that movie. I, I you know, for a variety of reasons, relate to Frank Serpico to some extent. Um, I don't know if it's quite that severe. I've never had a gun put in my back before, but you know, a metaphorical gun to some extent. Um, even one of my old neighbors in Florida when I was quitting, he, he lived in a house with his wife. They were retired from uh, Ford Motor Company in Michigan. He looked at me and he said, he said, you got to be careful with those union guys and those union people. He goes, they work with the companies hand in hand against the employees all the time. And if you don't do what you're told, you might find yourself wearing cement shoes. And I looked at him and I went, well, I don't think they're going to kill me, but uh, they probably want to. And I remember he and his wife were concerned about me and, and concerned about what was going on. And I just reassured him everything was going to be all right. And uh, yeah, I'm sure they've passed on since, but uh, they, were, they were great people. The McCanns was, was their name. Good, good, uh, good people. In fact, let me mention this very quickly. There were a couple other details that, that I just recalled here. Um, basically, to sort of summarize the, the day-in and day-out workplace bullying, it, it, it was becoming frequent, as you might imagine. It was becoming daily, and it was occurring with basically any single thing that I would attempt to do or anything that I was actually doing, with or without their knowledge. Um, Back when I was in middle school, the same colleague who again came to my defense and was interrogated by the uh, the district investigator, the two of us gave a presentation at the nation's largest middle school conference. And I submitted the proposal for, again, these violence videos, these anti-violence videos that we were creating in the school. And 
and showing and showing the the students in the school. And again, we were excuse me, we were saying this is a great way to prevent violence and, and reduce it and get people to leave each other alone in these environments was to get students to talk about it and then get students to basically remind other people to stop. Again, it's about getting everybody on the same page. And I was, of course, subverting the administration because they weren't doing anything. They just weren't bright people. So when we were giving this presentation or about to give this presentation in Louisville, Kentucky, they pulled me into their conference room, the the principal did, and she said, okay, so you told me that you're, that you're presenting at this conference and that, uh, and that you're going to you're going to need time off. She goes, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We're stretched for subs and I just don't know if that's going to happen. And I remember looking at her and going, I know what you're trying to do and you can't stop it from happening. So I have endless sick leave days, at least a month's worth of sick leave days. I can take as many days off as I want. And I remember thinking to myself, she can't stop me and she's not going to. So what I did was, is I went around her and I told the superintendent at the time. Now, I worked under two superintendents my entire time that I was there. But I remember emailing the superintendent and just saying, just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be representing our, you know, myself and a colleague and we're going to be presenting at this conference and we just wanted to let you know that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have your school's name on our on our badges and whatever else. And and I didn't tell him a whole lot more about it. I just told him that it was an anti-violence thing, and uh, you know, it was videos that we had created in in an effort to educate people about being safe in a school environment and whatever else. He immediately emailed me back, and he just goes, "Congratulations! You know, thanks for representing the district. Have a great time." That was perfect because he then, in that email back to me, he carbon copied the school principal, which pissed her off to no flipping end. I mean, she hated it. But again, all I did was go around her. And I went to I went to her boss. And I went, hey, here's what we're doing. And he was like, congratulations. And that was it. That's not what she did, though. Again, she tried to keep us from, from going. She didn't want us to go because she was jealous. She wanted us to take her with her, you know, take take her with us. And we weren't going to do that. It wasn't her idea. It was mine. It wasn't her effort. It was mine. And she was sad that we didn't invite her with us. She wanted a little vacation. Well, go to hell. Come up with your own idea. But she didn't because she was a dummy. So that happened, and then when we got back from the conference, it went swimmingly, standing ovation, 150 plus people. And when we let, when we left, uh, and and we ended up coming back, very haphazardly and very sarcastically, she approached my colleague and my friend, and she said, uh, "I think it was in the cafeteria or something, just in passing." She goes, "So how was that conference in uh, in Nashville?" And he goes, "In Louisville." And they went, oh yeah, that's right. It was in Louisville. So how was that? And he was like, it was, it was great. Thanks for asking. She was like, oh okay. And then that was it. They never spoke to me about it once it was over with. They never, they never asked me how it went. Uh, I think actually that's not true. I think an assistant principal asked me just kind of again sarcastically and in passing with a little bit of like, uh, oh I don't know, jealousy in their voice and a little disdain. So how did that go? 
I mean, again, any time that that an individual in an environment tries to be successful, either on their own or with a colleague, there's always the clinger-ons. There's always the people that want the credit and people that want to join on and people that want more accolades and they haven't done jack shit. And frankly, you're not gonna you're not gonna get any attention. And and we're at least me, I'm not gonna give anybody any attention if they don't pull their weight. And they were they were actually creating the problem in the building. That was the ironic part. They were creating the problems in the building and I was trying to solve them. And they hated that. They couldn't stand it. Didn't matter how many students were 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 safe. It didn't matter how much education was taking place. If they weren't receiving credit, then that was the end of it. And by the time I left, the superintendent, uh, the, the time that I left the entire district, the superintendent himself ended up retiring also. Because I think that he found out what, what I was experiencing and what, uh, what I had on the district. And that really caused a lot of shifting around in the entire district. And you have to keep in mind, Charlotte County, Florida is not a small county. They're a big district. Uh, they had two high schools, if memory serves, two or three high schools. They had two middle schools and then 11, middle, 11 elementary schools. It's, it's a large district, but very corrupt because, well, they're all corrupt. But either way, that, that was, that, that's my whistleblowing story. Again, I was a whistleblower before it was fashionable. No one, no one cut me a check for a quarter million dollars like James O'Keefe and you know, there was no GoFundMe account, none of that shit. I just stood up for children that weren't mine and tried to protect them from a very evil system and very evil people. And I was successful, and then I was not successful with, with some. So that's the way it worked. And again, that was my that was my K-12 education career right there. Lots of good stuff happened, of course. I mean, I, I saved people's lives. That happened also too, um, you know, with valuable information and a thousand other things, advice and everything else that a school teacher does. But I'm not sure what else I can add. It's a criminal organization, as I've been over on the show, and I will continue to bring it up. That's the way it goes. So, thanks for listening to that long explanation. It's arguably the longest episode I've had. I got that all out without even writing down a single note. So there you go. That's how that's how fresh in my mind it still is to some extent. But again, you know, it's a like I said, it's a criminal organization and it's lying. And these people suffer from serious disorders and they don't even know it. And they're all brainwashed and they're protecting what they think is the bottom line. The problem they don't understand is, is it's on the bottom for a reason. And now it's going to implode and completely disintegrate. And there's nothing they can do about it because they're responsible for it. That's American education. So get out of the system if you can. It hasn't changed. It won't. It will only get worse. And I'm glad that I'm out. That was my waking up process too. And I've never looked back. So again, thank you for listening. I'll catch you next Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving again. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.